0: Hello and welcome to the 250, your weekly podcast looking at the IMDB's top 250 movies of all time. I'm your host Darren Mooney and joining me as ever is my co-host Andrew Quinn. Hello, hello, hello. And we have two experts joining us. First of all, from When Irish Eyes Are Watching, we have Alex, our expert in David Fincher. Hello. And from the lighthouse in Dublin, we have Charlene, who is our expert in Edward Norton, joining us again to help bookend our sort of uh, season of the summer of 99.
1: Hello, thank you.
0: (laughs) You may need to be a bit louder. I will then? be, I will be. Okay, I'm in, <laughs>
1: I'm in. I'm
0: in. <laughs> um, just a, a heads up for listeners actually as well. Because the movie we're discussing is a movie about Fight Club and it's about rejecting rules, we are rejecting all the rules. We're gonna, we may actually be eating and drinking on this podcast. So if you hear strange sounds, just be aware of that. So yeah, we're kind of reaching the end of, of what has been our summer of 99. It's technically the autumn of 2019, but it's... Isn't it all about rules? <laughs> 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 it's, it's October 15th. 1999.
1: <laughs> uh, actually, um, I wanted to talk to you about that whole annulment thing. Uh-huh.
2: Yeah, I'm not gonna do that. Look, I, I, <laughs> I can't have three failed marriages. I can't, okay? <laughs> I, I, I am not gonna be
1: that guy. <laughs> God damn it, an entire generation pumping gas, waiting tables.
3: Today there are infinite telephone numbers, movies of all kinds and colors, email at our fingertips 24 hours a day, and many roads that relentlessly call for our judgment. Our environment is flooded with choices. But our purpose for being here on Earth has never changed. Choice becomes inescapable.
4: Who will hold the power in the new millennium? I want a quick strategic nuclear strike.
3: If tomorrow is judgment day
0: saying
3: mommy. And I'm standing on the front line And the Lord asked me what I did with my life I will say I spent it with you Advertising has us chasing cars and
0: clothes. Working jobs we hate, so we can buy Big screen to your screen. Buy the Star Wars Episode One video, some Pepsi, Tostitos tortilla chips, and get three bucks back.
1: Oh,
3: joy.
1: You can't help but fall in love with a color like this. Vapor, a new color for the new Beetle. Only 2,000 available, only online. The 60s is being sponsored in part by AT&T Personal Network. Communications has finally caught up with the way you live. By Propecia, talk to your doctor today. And by Century by Buick, a luxury car for everyone.
3: The middle children of history, man. No purpose, or place.
1: When Lance Corporal Carlos Colbert joined the Marines, he took an oath to defend this country against all enemies, foreign and domestic. He never dreamed he would find that enemy at a party outside San Diego, California. As we reported last fall, a mob of white men attacked Carlos at that party and broke his neck. Our great war is a spiritual war. Our great depression
0: is our lives.
3: When I can't stop fiddling, I just takes me riddling. I'm popping and sailin', man.
0: Heartbreaker by Mariah Carey, who's still performing at the heart of her po- at the height of her power, is at number one we're one week away from smooths 11 week reign at the top of the charts was
2: confused at the beginning who thought that this was about 1969
0: <laughs> or 79 I understand. yeah given like, how we like, open with the how theme, you open with yeah, the theme yeah. the, the sorry how we <laughs> <laughs> um mumbo number five is at yes number five genie in a bottle has dropped to seven My Love is Your Love by Whitney Houston is at 8. It will be her last top 10 hit, uh, excluding Star-Spangled Banner, uh, tragically, unfortunately. In terms of box office, again, we have like a bumper week at the U.S. box office. Again, when we've been going through 99, we've been noting that, like, typically of a week, we'll know a lot of these movies. So just to run through very, very quickly, at number 10, The Omega Code, starring uh, Michael York. It's the first Christian blockbuster. It's responsible for giving us like movies like Kirk Cameron Saving Christmas. God and is later dead. <laughs> God's Not Dead and these sort of movies. So yeah, it can trace their roots back to left the Omega. Yep. Yeah, <laughs> both left behind. Uh but we'll probably be talking about that later. Blue Streak is at nine. Ooh, Do
2: really?
0: We remember Martin Lawrence. Yeah. Martin
1: Lawrence.
2: Yeah. Yep. Nineteen ninety nine.
0: Nineteen ninety
2: nine. I might think of
0: Silver Streak, I am. What Silver Streak?
2: Isn't it the um or maybe that's what they were going to call it. The movie with um uh, Gene Wilder and one of the Gene Wilder. You're thinking 1979 again. <laughs> yeah. um, We're back in 1969.
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, uh, at number eight, The Sixth Sense, which is down two places. Ooh. Superstar is at seven, continuing Will Ferrell's tendency of being everywhere but completely forgettable in 1999. <laughs> wow. Um, Random Hearts is at six, down four places. The Kirsten Scott Thomas, uh, Harrison Ford, Plane crash romance, if we remember that (laughs) one. Remember when that was a thing?
1: Harrison Ford and plane crash romances because yeah. he had that six days seven nights yoke as well and I mean one imagines the early
0: draft of Air Force One was probably very different when he signed on as well
4: ironically Harrison Ford nearly did cause an actual plane crash remember he lost his oh. pilot's license oh, like yeah. a few years ago like flying oh. over but they, hopefully he fell in love in the process yeah I'm going to say maybe, maybe I'll to find love
0: yeah. wasn't it the, the golf club one of my favourite Harrison Ford crashing stories is where he crashed on like the 17th hole of a golf course No, and like people ran over to like see what the hell who got out of the plane and it was Harrison Ford oh, which is just the best wow. golfing story ever <laughs> of world. all the golfing stories <laughs>
2: <laughs> they get on to try and take him out he's like get off my
0: plane <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, American Beauty is at five uh what we talked about that last week it's down one place uh Three Kings is at four uh mm-hmm. The Story of Us is at three the wave of like 1999 divorce romances Rob Reiner um Bruce Willis oh, Michelle I think... Pfeiffer yeah yeah story of a divorce
1: I think that film made me cry but I can't remember anything about it at all <laughs> when Harry
0: left Sally, I think oh. is basically the plot synopsis i already crying
2: <laughs> when Michelle Pfeiffer leaves Rob Reiner at the end is, is kind of, <laughs> no <laughs> we we're meant to get together we we're to be together forever
0: um And then Double Jeopardy's at two, being knocked off the top spot after three weeks. And Fight Club actually opened at number one, but with a relatively underwhelming box office of just $11 million. It
2: is a bad week compared to...
0: Yeah, a couple of weeks ago we did The Sixth Sense. It was like Deep Blue Sea and uh, Stur of Echoes. Not Stur of Echoes, it was The Haunting and it was uh, Blair Witch Project. And it was, yeah. So this is not maybe the best week. But still a week packed with movies that I at least remember.
4: I remember The Sixth Sense, some of the others. <laughs> I have not you, yet seen the Michael, the Michael York <laughs> Omega Code. This
0: not, not so yet. much. <laughs> um, Alan Alda is guest starring on Eeyore this week. The Simpsons has returned for its 11th season, uh, and The Roth has begun to set in. The episode that aired the weekend The Fight Club was released was Brother's Little Helper, in which Bart takes a series of medications designed to control his behavioral outbursts and thus becomes a completely different person, which may or may not be thematically <laughs> relevant to the <laughs> film we're going to discuss. It's Riddlin, yeah. When he just can't stop fiddling, he just takes his mm-hmm. Um Yeah, Niles just landed a job as an art critic on Frasier. Uh, 60 Minutes has aired a segment on Lance Corporal Carlos Colbert, who was paralysed by a bunch of white people outside a party in San Diego. Um, and the scuffed holes of ivory. Am- Amory University looked at a professor who was forced out of academia due to his politics. Again, perhaps something that will be uh, relevant later in the discussion. Uh, Stark Raving Mad, starring Tony Shalhoub uh, and Neil Patrick Harris in its first season. Uh, WWF uh, has become the most successful sh- one of the most successful shows on American television. On the 12th of October, the sixth billionth person was born in the world, according to the UN, in Sarajevo, uh, and herzegovina And on the 15th of October, National Geographic revealed the fossil of the Archaeoraptor.
2: Um, How did the UN know that there aren't a few other people hiding away? <laughs> Just sort of tucked away <laughs> down the bottom. Or, or that everyone that has declared themselves is still alive, that they're not, like, trying to get some meal on wheels delivered you know, <laughs> yeah. to, to, to their house.
0: Um, yeah, and then on the 15th of October, National Geographic announced the Archaeoraptor, which you may or may not remember as the dinosaur skeleton that doesn't actually exist. Suppose out of China, it was supposed to be the missing link between bird and dinosaur. Uh, it turned out to be... S- the one that
2: was owned by Nicolas Cage at one point.
0: <laughs> no, that's a different one. Uh, but this turned out to be six different fossils cobbled together and sold uh, at auction mm. in order to exploit mm. and take advantage. National yeah, Geographic right. were usually embarrassed because they did no peer research on this. They oh. just published the article. They announced it at a news conference. Yeah, oh, Every
2: fossil is lots of fossils cobbled together. Wake up, sheeple. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and Andrew's setting a tone for the podcast <laughs> that we're about to have. Um, and... In American cinemas this week, Fight Club was released. Um, So that's very much for joining us to discuss this. You're welcome. Yeah. Um, So normally when we're talking about these movies, we ask, do you remember the first time you saw it? So like, did you guys see it in the cinema? Uh,
4: Alex? No, I I was um, probably thankfully too young to go to this. It was not something on my radar. It was actually something that uh, I first saw only a very brief glimpse of. Um, I was in a hotel and I was there with my cousins who were all like babies and toddlers and stuff. And I had been left to look after them, uh, to borrow like a John Mullaney joke, it's kind of like leaving a horse to look after a dog, because I was only <laughs> maybe 10 or 11 years old at this stage, maybe even younger than that. But I remember flicking through the channels, looking for something to watch, surrounded by children, like small children, and, and set, seeing this this scene, and right away I was hooked. It, it's the scene where Edward Norton comes back to his apartment from his business trip, and uh, I know we're not in the spoiler zone, while so I'll try and, like... <laughs> be vague. Be vague. But it just immediately hooked me. The the way it was shot and the the way it looked and the narration and the way it was sort of dark and funny and, and this whole, like, encapsulation of the whole film's tone actually really is in that scene. And uh, I remember just being hooked and then simultaneously realising that this was definitely not a film that children could enjoy. And I was not going to be able to watch this this particular night. So, um... I just remember like trying to like take down. I remember because in those days it wasn't like quite sky digital. So I had to like go to the TV guide, the print TV <laughs> guide. And like, what is this film? And find out it was called Fight Club. And um, I was just hooked from there. Yeah.
2: You make a memo like watch this when. No, genuinely. Like <laughs> when I'm not
4: surrounded by, by again, younger case. children. Like I was still a child myself. But uh, I think it was the, yeah, it was the, the tone and the look of this film. It was right around that time where. And I, I know we discussed The Matrix on this before, but I think I'd just also seen The Matrix and my my mind had like been galaxy brains to realise like films can be like shot differently and like <laughs> films can look like this. And I was really starting getting into this idea of like, you know, older like films, particularly with a certain style and look. And this film just hooked me.
0: Was this your first David Fincher experience? Because I know we talked yes, before, David yes. Fincher is one of your favourite directors. I yes, believe.
4: this was like the hook. So... Um, I tracked down the DVD then and, like, again, felt like I was buying, ironically, pornography. again. Well, the way the, the package <laughs> is designed. Yeah, that soapbox like, um, package wrapping. Like yeah.
0: cardboard and sort of like, the, it looks like it's twine around it and yeah. stuff.
1: Yeah, still have it. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, I still have it to say.
4: I watched it last night, but I bought that. And I remember bringing it home and watching it and being simultaneously, like, amazed, but also, like, kind of repulsed. Because it is, like, a shocking film. And, again, I was... Just, Hardly, far too young to be experiencing at this stage So because again I was like So you know Irish Catholic guilt I returned it to HMV Aww. I was like I, I, we only had like 10 DVDs and this one felt like <laughs> radioactive and if my like <laughs> brother or sister found this I was like oh my god and I was thinking like was my parents found this Whoa. so I like returned it and then again like three weeks later I was like you could probably keep that under your bed so I went back and bought it again and that's that's the version I, I still have 20 oh, years later like a toxic um, relationship exactly yeah but I do remember then even like Watching it one, one night, and my dad came in, and automatically doing that sort of thing I'd gotten very good at by that stage, <laughs> being like, is there any sex scenes from the remainder of this film? You know, is there anything that he might be a little like, hey, what's this weird film you're watching? And I did it, and I think, no, this is the end. This is pretty much like, some buildings explode, <laughs> nothing's going on. Again, not to give anything the spoiler zone, but that last frame of the film, yeah. I had a very hard time explaining <laughs> after he, like, said <laughs> to watch. <laughs> But it was it was the style of the film, I think, that really hooked me in, and I think being a 12-year-old a or however old I was, you know, a lot of the themes and stuff, and I'm sure we'll talk about this later, there was a sort of, like, newness and freshness to them, but they didn't really intrigue me as much as the just the sheer style of it, and it was the thing that really, really hooked me. I remember a few years later talking to a girl and being very much like, I have to impress this girl. And we were talking about films. And I said, oh yeah, Fight Club. And she sort of stopped me and said, you're not one of those guys who are really into Fight Club. And I just <laughs> immediately said, no. And again, took a memo to be like, L- work this out. Why is she not like... <laughs> so yeah, I've kind of had a definite... I feel like, like
0: we'll be talking about that later. <laughs> yeah.
4: A definite love-hate relationship with this film. But it was the one that hooked me on like David Fincher. And I, I bought like a David Fincher autobiography and like, read it cover to cover wow. soon after this and just became... Mm. Truly kind of obsessed for a small period of time for example, Dar- like David Fisher.
2: Darren's alluding, presumably, to how we're going to take all of the joy out of the movie. <laughs> 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 will have to I wait. What a joyful <laughs> movie it <for that>. is. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, <laughs> like,
0: are we taking all the joy out, or has, like, the world yeah, in the past yeah. 20 yeah. years taken all of the joy out of this movie? Um, it's funny, actually, you should mention that I, again, a lot of these movies I remember watching with my family, actually, which is, again, a very interesting experience. This on the scale of like American Pie being most awkward movie to watch <laughs> American Beauty sort of falling a little bit beneath that. This was kind of between those two extremes. What I remember is... I saw the Aristocrats one. <laughs> no, we did we're, not watch the Aristocrats. No, I did. We're,
2: we're, the the we're, one about the, the joke, the documentary. documentary. Yes, yeah, yeah. We watched the entire thing. As different as different groups Gosh. of people started to shuffle out at different times, depending on what part of Threshold, the joke we were I like told. Threshold, Yeah, yeah. But it's like, oh, this is the time for me to leave. Yeah. Yeah. It's talking about, yeah. Oh, yeah. God. I've now found but your book. We button. managed to stay through the whole thing. <laughs> in spite of, like, we were... I'm probably the only family <laughs> <laughs> who are watching, watching the this. aristocrats. you think yeah. we would have left first. <laughs> yeah. This isn't the cartoon about cats at all.
0: <laughs> what, I, what I remember about Fight Club, though, is that, like... And, again, I was... I would have been, at the time, 12 years old. So, again, I wouldn't have got all of it. And I think, again, like Alex, I think I responded to the style of it. But I remember my parents, and I think even some other older relatives as well, at being... watching the film with us. Again... It was October in the States. It probably would have been early next year. So it would have been summerish when we watched it on on DVD. But I remember like everybody else being, what the hell was that? And they had a similar reaction to uh, being John Malkovich as well, Mm. um, which was around the same time. But what I really remember about it, which is actually a very sweet thing, is that they remembered that I, as a 12-year-old kid, had had like a kind of a response to this is, how is he doing? What's going on here? This is kind of like in terms of storytelling and kind of construction this is amazing mm. and like for Christmas they actually got me a, they got me that DVD copy oh, of it wow. which is lovely <laughs> here's this movie that we hate but we know that you like down, uh, down the nice. street
4: I was like smuggling mine back home <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> hiding uh, it yeah.
0: but I, I was, that was something that was always very sort of like I always kind of touched me about my family was that they were like yeah we absolutely loathe this movie it's <laughs> stupid it's <laughs> immature but you like it so enjoy because you're
1: 12 so yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> Which is probably the perfect thing to feed a 12-year-old boy, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, Charlene, what about yourself? Do you remember the what first did, time you saw this? What did you generally eat for dinner?
2: <laughs> 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 yeah, like we agree that this is unhealthy. <laughs> Toxic masculinity for dinner every day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, uh, but, you know, but, we but probably uh, wouldn't... But Darren eat. really likes it, yeah. so yeah.
0: Yeah. It's like, you know, Ribs steak, release, e- steak every night is probably a bad <laughs> idea. A um, lot of health warnings about it. But Darren really likes it. Actually, funny, there is actually a story like that. My granddad um, used to go, if you remember Crazy Prices, if any mm. Irish listeners oh, yeah. remember Crazy Prices, discount store, really, really discount store. Um, and they used to do these pizzas. And the pizzas were literally cardboard with a bit of ketchup on them. And that's stuff they can't legally call you cheese. Say literally? <laughs> um, <laughs> like, very, very close to cardboard. Um, and i loved them as a kid and i remember well,
2: that's all we had I, 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 yeah. as far as i remember the, the 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 only frozen pizzas there were were those kind of um perforated ones there, yeah there, that's it, it they were yeah, it's, yeah. it's it's the it, it 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 is it is like that styrofoam on the bottom of when you get a new box of or a, yeah. no some kind of a Pizza now has an actual base those, which would have been yeah, the base yeah, for yeah, the Crazy yeah. Price's mm. pizza uh, but what
0: I remember is I used to love those and my mum was like they will give him cancer mm. and my granddad was like yeah but he really likes them he will die happy <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he's 14 <laughs> which is great so yeah I think maybe getting a picture of Darren's family life here but like, chern- <laughs> Gino Ginelli is terrible oh yeah Gino Ginelli was a step up from the Crazy Price's yeah. own brand <laughs> But Charlene, do you remember when you first saw Fight Club? Because again, you're an Ed Norton fan. So yeah. would you have, would you have seen this in the cinema?
1: Yes, not to show my age, <laughs> but actually, I wasn't quite of age yet. I think I was 17. Um, I think, as far as I can remember. Anyway, um, I was a big Edward Norton fan even at that stage. Um, so I remember like just being so excited about this film. Like it just looked like the coolest film in the world ever. And I made all my friends go, and I remember all, all of us like making plans on the Friday night to go. I don't know if they wanted to go, but like I was the person who <laughs> made made us go to weird films, and. Um, it was we weren't 18 most of us weren't 18 so we were like was it, 18s? We're not it was 18 yeah oh, okay. um, I suppose actually yeah that makes sense yeah <laughs> and, <laughs> <Incredulous>. uh, <laughs> and we we're like we're not gonna get in we're not gonna get in I was freaking out and we got in and I felt like a criminal mm-hmm. uh but there was a bunch of us like probably 10 of us and I remember watching it and just coming out thinking like that's the best movie I've ever seen <laughs> and that is all I want for movies
2: <laughs> ever
1: <laughs> <laughs> I was a little bit obsessed with it but I loved it and like At that point, like I, I grew up in Carlo, and in the Carlo cinema, you didn't get the cool weird movies. Like sometimes around Oscar time, they'd show something like Magnolia, Mm. um, for a night, like because of another movie my parents weren't too fond of. I'm sure, (laughs) (laughs) nor all of my friends, but um, but yeah, like that was what we were. So I was just relieved that it was on in my cinema. If anybody listened to the American History X, you might have listened to my story about having to make my dad drive me to Port Lee and wait in the car while I watched American History X. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Do we have a sequel?
1: <laughs> no, no. Thankfully, Carlo came through for me okay. this time, mm-hmm. um, but I absolutely loved it. And I had seen Seven, but I wasn't a huge fan of Seven. Mm. Which is weird. Um, I always feel like it's a film I should love, but I never really do. I know we're not here to talk about Seven, but I di- I was just like, this looks way better than Seven.
0: <laughs> well, I mean, it does have one additional factor that I think may have swayed I'm you,
1: maybe slightly biased. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Also, a little bit obsessed with uh, Marla Singer at the time, and I think I had some sort of like AOL handle that was like Marla Singer nineteen eighty three or oh, something. That's
2: I hope
0: you still have it it's somewhere. <laughs> well, I mean, given that we're sending this out on the internet, it's probably a good thing that you don't.
1: Yeah, are <laughs> <You laughs> giving out it, right? all it's of funds are sound. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Absolutely no problems yeah. with that. Uh, Alex's experience was just a one in a million. Yeah. Uh, but actually, because we kind of alluded to this when we talked about American history, because I remember asking you when we were podcasting that about is this Edward Norton's finest moment? And you were like, "It's pretty fine, but it's not the finest." And I think he may have suggested that we would be talking about it later in the year. So, is it this or is it Death to Smoochie?
1: <laughs> Death to Smoochie I is like great. Smoochie. I, love love Death. Death I love Death to When we do a podcast about Danny DeVito directed films, <laughs> <laughs> we'll talk about Death to Smoochie. Um, but, I mean, this this is so impressive. See's DeVito. Right? <laughs> um, I, I really DeVito think Edward Norton's performance in this film is so good because it's so, there's so many things going on in it. Mm. I mean, it's, he's quirky, he's kind of cool, and then he's bored, and, like, he's got so many things going on Mm. that he has to play a crazy person with the veneer of a, like, straight man. Like, it's just, it's such an interesting performance. I think it's absolutely brilliant. And it's not as showy as, say, American History X or uh, Primal Fear, which is also excellent, but I think, I think this is possibly his best performance. But I might change my mind about that, but.
0: Yeah, he got the role off the back of the people as Larry Flint, actually. That's why Fincher cast him. Another was, again,
1: fantastic performance that like, you barely notice, but it's so good. Yeah, yeah. yeah brilliant film. Um,
0: and Andrew, do you remember the first time you saw Fight Club?
2: I don't, but I remember I remember it having a great impression on me, and I think I must have seen it around the time that it was um, out. I don't know if I saw it in the cinema or if it was on kind of home video or on even on television, maybe. Um, I feel like it might have been one of those kind of network two
0: Oh, rt two, yeah, because it's far too it was, cool yeah. to be a midweek movie on RTE, yeah, it's far too hip yeah, and yeah, yeah. modern.
2: But yeah, where 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 you'd be looking forward to something they were showing all, them all garden, week. Was it Midnight
0: well. in the Garden of Good and Evil? Probably <laughs> was on RTE one at that time. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, yeah. So I, I I think I I I reckon it would have been one of those, um, and it would, like possibly around Christmas. Um, I'm not sure. Because I know they used to they used to well they still do. They go like chock a block um, around Christmas full time, movies with all the releases, yeah.
0: Uh, it um, is it is worth noting actually that the film um had a uh, rather underwhelming box office reception. It was originally planned to be released in early yeah. summer. It was number one, but it
2: was a bad week. It was a bad week, and it was, then it, it fell very quickly. Was that the week that, um, that movie with Russell Crowe and Al Pacino? Oh, The Insider. The that Insider. That was a bit later in the movie. Remember, November, we, uh, we went to see that together, and I um, left with everyone else yeah. who, who, who was bored. And, <laughs> and Darren <laughs> and stayed. Like, yeah, oh, It's yeah. Michael Mann,
4: you nerds. <laughs> yeah,
2: I have no right to be on a, a, a movie podcast. I, I went to Al Pacino, go see, Russell Russell Crowe and went, Michael Mann, you
0: philistines. I went
2: to go see Superstar uh, instead. Yeah. <laughs> I had a great time. <laughs>
0: do, do you remember, actually, uh, speaking of, like, Charlene was talking about getting into 18s rated movies. And Sligo, like, do you remember the time that we all we all wanted to go and see Blade 2? Or wanted you part to party see that whatever
2: group? any of the girls wanted to see. Oh, that's a fair point. <laughs> but, yeah. um, but I, was Blade <laughs> 2. <laughs> the the, uh, the guys had had this kind of like thing it's like we're gonna see blade 2 and it's like cool will there be girls (laughs) Um, and then they somehow didn't want didn't want to see that so it's like crossroads it is i remember
0: that's that's very different from how i remember it how i remember it is that we all went up to buy our tickets and i went first and it was like i'll take a ticket to blade 2 i had a ponytail and a goatee at the age of what 13 14 so they were so they were like hey yeah, that's fine. One ticket to Blade 2. And the person after me came up and they're like, are you 18? One ticket to Crossroads, please. Yeah. <laughs> and I remember there being a kind of a discussion about I whether or not... it must have been later in the queue now. Oh, okay. <laughs> I was like, oh,
2: you're- <laughs> um,
0: yeah, yeah. Because
2: I, I think I, I, I would have I had, I would have maybe had like full santa claus beard <laughs> 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 so i, 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 to I blend right, in perfectly yeah yeah i, was... I, w- I, w- I, w- I
0: would have gotten in fine I think. <laughs> yeah. but um, what i remember is after that it was like you everybody was like we're all going to see crossroads darren come and join the gang and i was like but i got a ticket to blade too <laughs> And did you go? I went to play too. Did. Yeah. I met them the for I did, afterwards. Yeah, did, I, was, did somebody in,
2: else get it, in, I thought? Yeah, it was uh, Endo. it?
4: I always thought my local cinema had a sort of implicit but unrecognized thing where they would schedule a children's film and the R-rated film or the 18th rated film that everyone wanted to get to that particular weekend. So I have a distinct memory of me and like three other 15-year-old guys or whatever being like four tickets to finding Nemo please and they'd be like here you go and then you oh. go into kill Bill 1 and oh. the whole application oh. was you know yeah. we all know what's going on here like, <laughs> yeah. legally we're protected yeah. Um,
0: um, yeah I don't think we were that smart <laughs> Teletubbies oh, whatever you need <laughs> whatever. me to say <laughs> <laughs> whatever the password is <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. But, uh, tickets for something what's <laughs> wrong <weird. laughs> I need to see it now, <laughs> um, but he, yeah, the thing is that uh, obviously it bombed uh, when Fight Club was released. Um, it was supposed to be released earlier in the summer, but then Columbine happened, Oof. and uh, the studios were like, "Yeah, no, that's not not happening." Fox after like, the Matrix. Uh yeah, Matrix was released. Columbine happened a few weeks caused in Columbine, and yeah.
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. oh, and <laughs> Myron Manson as well. Yeah.
0: Oh, yeah, oh yeah, and video games. Don't forget video games. Sure. They yeah. were also responsible for this. Yeah. Um, but then, basically, after Columbine, Fox were like, because Fox had been kind of tetchy on this so the story behind this is that the book was written galleys were sent around to town to various producers in fact fox's script reader or or book reader like option reader turned it down but one of the producers happened to be reading the the galleys and was like this is a film we want to make what she did i believe is she went out and she hired actors to read the script and recorded it and then edited that recording down to about two hours so she could play it in meetings and managed to convince them to sign on. Um What they want to do is they wanted... First thing they wanted to do is to get the writer of The Graduate. Yeah. To shortened it down to that. two
2: hours for meeting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: Oh, my God. I'm just going to play this here, guys. <laughs> <Two hours. laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm don't done. Worry. Everybody got your coffee? Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah I know you've all got important work to be doing, but don't worry. This will yeah. only take two no, hours course. tops. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, they also... Yeah, they also... Again, like she tells stories about like... Listening to it like an audiobook in a car and stuff like that as mm-hmm. well as how some of the executives listen to it. And uh, what they want to do is they want to get the script writer of The Graduate to write it. Because the idea was, and again, Edward Norton I, in Mike, all... Michael? No. Sorry. No, I
4: don't know. I don't have the name oh, I can't to think I, the I name. I literally read it this morning in preparation for this and then forgot it. <laughs> <laughs>
0: um, but he he turned it... Because again, and if you read lots of interviews, and again, when we talked about American what History X... Be? What? what yes that, yeah, it, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. so we're when we talk about American History X Norton is a big fan of describing his movies as like the children of the late 60s early 70s Hollywood movement and he's described Fight Club as a movie equivalent to The Graduate his generation's version of The Graduate and like the idea was that the the guy who wrote The Graduate would be the perfect guy to write this uh, and he, he, um, the pitch was that it would be a comedy that would kind of define a generation he read the galleys and sent back a note saying I don't see anything funny about this
4: <laughs> um, <laughs> baby boomer reaction (laughs) (laughs) Um,
0: but I mean apparently Bill Mechanic who was a huge supporter in Fox for the movie at the time he pushed it all the way he got Fincher in Fincher read the script loved it again Fincher was like this is going to be the funniest comedy ever made Um, and again Edward Norton when he signed on was like this is going to be the funniest comedy ever made apparently the only clash that existed between Fincher and Norton early on in shooting was a question of how they were going to pitch what they saw as the comedy Apparently, Norton wanted to go broad. Fincher wanted to be more kind of subversive and satirical. But apparently, they got on the same page. So, you know, not everybody's Tony Kay, apparently. (laughs) Um, But um, at Fox, apparently, Rupert Murdoch hated this movie. Like, loathed this movie with the passion of a thousand burning sons. I mean,
1: in fairness. (laughs) you're Rupert Murdoch you're not going to be into this movie no,
4: no no. he's probably thinking of every like hotel meal banquet he's had and being like this goes on yeah. he's got yeah.
1: more underlings than most people it's not good for him that
4: soup was very vinegar. yeah um, that's why I, I have food tasters yeah. yeah
1: what happened
0: to the cream of mushroom soup eh um, Yeah. But
2: you uh, ever re-
0: realise that you go to
2: kind of hotels and eat food there and sometimes it's really great and you can't really recreate it at home yeah, um, yeah. that's that, that now you know that's that's exactly
0: uh, what I was thinking about but it, it's worth noting that like apparently the mechanic who pushed it he was forced out after mm. this bombed and there were a number of other so bombed ironically enough but a number of other releases sort of bombed as well and basically apparently Murdoch when Murdoch pushed him out the door he was apparently this is for Fight Club was the sentiment that was sort of sent along there interesting enough mechanic had his own revenge because he noted that um, with a grim sense of irony that sensing that he was not long for this world at Fox, he made sure that at the climax of the film, one of the buildings, again, not to be too specific, but mm-hmm. one of the buildings that suffers the wrath of the main character is the 20th century Fox corporate headquarters.
1: Whoa. Uh, <laughs> That's <laughs> yeah. fantastic. <I> <laughs> it's fantastic. One <laughs> <laughs> well, of
0: those great subversive sort of uh, stories there. But in terms of Fincher coming on, Fincher uh, read the script and he uh, was like, "Look, he told Fox there are two ways to do it. The one way to do it is to do it for $3 million. Release it direct on video, let it be a grunge, underground sort of film, but the real way to do it, the real sort of, if you really want to do this, you make it a full, subversive, proper studio film, you gave me a budget of $60 million, you cast real movie stars in it, and then you just kind of go to town on it, and you release a blockbuster or a film that nobody has any idea what to make of it. Mm. And it is, because this is a movie starring Edward Norton, who had just fresh off like an Oscar nomination for Best Actor, but Brad Pitt, Mm. one of the most handsome men on the surface of the planet. Um, And it's worth noting, actually, when we were talking about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, uh, and we were talking about Brad Pitt having a story about being at his lowest ebb, we played a game where we were like, guess which mid-90s movie he was working on when he was at his lowest ebb, because he doesn't specify in the story. Apparently, when he took this role, he was coming fresh off Meet Joe Black. Wow. Oh, yeah, and yep, and he was apparently looking for some reason to continue acting, and it was like, yeah, wow. this, this.
4: Was it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Wow. It's funny because like just watching the end again with with yourself, Andrew, this morning. I noticed one of the cinemas in the background of the scene where he gets the taxi and these Helena yes. shows seven years in oh, that. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, Another, oh yeah, yeah, right. yeah mid nineties. You kind of forget but Yeah, that was not that long. This was not that long after that. Then nearly, yeah.
0: I mean, it was, um, is it, and again, I apologize, I'm going to mangle the pronunciation of writer Chuck Palahniuk's name. But he said that uh, when he talked to Brad Pitt, who just came off Meet Joe Black, one of the movies he wasn't particularly happy with, he said that every movie is the antidote to the one you just made. Hmm, That's cool. Which is quite, sort of puts this a bit in context. Yeah. Um, And again, Pitt has talked about how, like, the script spoke to him on an almost spiritual level. There's a quote from Rolling Stone in 1999 where he's like, I'm the guy who's got everything, but I'm telling you. Once you get everything, then you're just left with yourself. I've said it before and mm-hmm. I'll say it again. It doesn't help you sleep any better and you don't wake up any better because of it. Just like That's why, funny, yeah. yeah. For Brad Pitt. I feel like Brad Pitt has the luxury of kind of saying that. It's not impress him much. Very
3: good.
4: <laughs> um. It's funny though, because I actually think Brad Pitt's one of those actors who... Um, I think he's he's very good in the things he's in, but I think his real talent lies in having like good taste when he's picking films. Yeah. Um, yeah. And he's just he's always like like that new Ad Astra film that's coming out. I am like psyched for that. Yeah. That looks great. But I also know it's going to be that Brad Pitt role of, you know, very stoic, very taciturn, you know, very charming. But it's funny you mentioned Meet Joe Black cuz that's a film where I think that really does not work. <laughs> yeah. Whereas yeah. this is a film that really plays into that idea of it's like it's such a satirical role for Brad Pitt, where he's looking at like Gucci ads and being like, "Oh, ridiculous!" Yeah. And then posing yeah, then, like Gucci yeah, ads. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, it works so well. He's so good in the in the. He's so well cast, I suppose. Meet
2: Joe Black is very much kind of like this beautiful man sort of yeah um, yeah uh, Brad Pitt movie. Yeah. <laughs> We're like like all of the of up to this point? Yeah. Like, like Legend of the Fall. Yeah. I'm thinking of Interview with a
0: Vampire. I'm yeah. thinking of yeah. It was a long period. I mean, arguably true romance is probably the exception. California. Okay. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, Obviously, I
1: was a big fan of California because David Duchovny was in it.
0: <laughs> David Duchovny, Michelle Forbes, and uh, Juliette Lewis. Juliette and- Lewis and Brad Pitt. And Brad Pitt. What a combo.
1: Interesting movie. <laughs> it's a very interesting movie. Interesting movie. <laughs> that early
0: 90s serial killer boom. Yeah. Um, but just actually, before we sort of, before we go into the smaller zone, three questions to ask. Um, and they're the same ones we ask every week, but I feel like they'll be particularly interesting ones this week. So Alex. <coughs> Do you think that Fight Club belongs on a list of the 250 greatest movies ever made? And keep in mind, it's at number 10. Uh, Char- yeah. Char- audiences can't <laughs> see Charlene's reaction.
1: But it's a delighted face <laughs> for <laughs>
0: us.
4: Yeah, it's, you know, it's the same thing as any of these. 250 is a lot, so I'm. it's hard for me to say no. But part of me also thinks that, like, if we were, to, I'm going to... Twist the question slightly and say, "Is this one of the David Fincher films yeah. that should be on the top?" And I don't think it is. I think it's it's a fantastic film in many ways, but I think this was the film he needed to make to like go. It's it, this is like the linchpin for everything, as you were saying, uh, Charlene. About seven, seven is a, a very well made studio serial killer film. The game is a very well made studio studio thriller but it was like he is reflecting those stories through a studio prism and then he gets to fight club where he starts reflecting sort of big studio pictures through his own prism and then it's everything changes then he's making like even something like panic room which is a very by the numbers thriller and, and a film that's set entirely in one location after something like fight club But it's such a clearly well-made venture film. Like that was the film he spent the most amount of time on on. pre-production of all his films, including like Zodiac and stuff. Because I think after Fight Club he kind of thought, you know what, I'm gonna dial down the sort of MTV (coughs) zoom in around CGI. I'm just gonna start focusing on my own kind of like style things. And that's where we eventually lead to Zodiac and other things. That's not to say Fight Club's not an incredibly interesting film, and definitely one that, you know, in this particular time should definitely be talked about. It's shocking to me. It's in the top 10 well-reviewed films of all time. But again, we'll get to that because of the <laughs> real reason behind that. So yeah, I, I definitely... 250, it's so many. So I think, yeah, but if I were pulling together a list, part of me would think this would be more towards the end of this. And there would be more other Fincher films like Zodiac. Well, I was going to say, like Zodiac, not, it, it, Zodiac's no. in there. There are no. three
0: Fincher films on the list. So
4: seven... <laughs> Social is, Network? Nope. What? It was in. It
0: was, was it? in yeah. and it's gone now. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you always upset me when oh, I, I hear what am I, what am I no, saying? Gone Girl. Yes. Yeah. No, Gone Girl. I, I like Seven. Gone Girl again, yeah. but it's
4: yeah. a strange one to have on there. Yeah.
2: I like, I like the the thing you were and saying like, about uh, the
0: girl with the dragon tattoo was in as well at one point, and uh, Panic Room was in at one point as well. But yeah, his, his three most enduring films, according to the IMDb, are in order: This, Seven, and Gone Girl. That's fascinating. Which says, I think, a lot about the internet, perhaps. <laughs> yes. <laughs> The thing you were saying about kind of... Um, Two of uh, them are now used as verbs, I think.
2: Fincher <laughs> um, eschewing kind of gimmicks later in his career. And it's it's so interesting because Gone Girl, you can't really think of any gimmicks in that movie, but it has such a uh, unique kind of... The, like, it just looks um, uh, different. Yeah. And you can kind of tell as well that it's a that it's a Fincher
0: movie, yeah. But that it's it has not that kind of cold digital quality to it. Like yeah. yeah, steady hands, yes. steady cam.
2: But you, it, it's it's quite difficult to kind of articulate maybe uh, easily. Like yeah. Like with with this, there there are a lot of kind of tricks. It's funny because
4: um, um, like on that point, I remember again watching one of the many commentary tracks that were recorded for Fight Club, again showing how nerdy I was as a teenager. But there's one where. Just Edward Norton and Brad Pitt are watching it and just keep repeating to each other like Beavis and Butthead. It's so dark. It's it's so dark. It's so dark. (laughs) And it is. And it's what you were saying um, about the lighting of it. Like his eyes are hollow and black and like everything has got this like cool like Gone Girl is a film I think of as being a blue film in the way that you think other films are black and white because he's sort of like so controlling of the color and stuff like that. So it, it kind of reminded me of, um, I read recently, Batman the Animated Series. Apparently they, instead of drawing on white, they drew on actual black with colours and that's what made it dark, I, like black shaped paper oh, and everything. Cool. And I kind of thought, yeah, that's kind of what David Fincher does. He like mm. gets a, a colour pattern and decides, this is going to be my blue film. This is going to be my green film. This is going to be my, my black film. Yeah.
0: Which makes it very hard to discuss them thematically. It's like, so what was the bluest <laughs> thing about you, <laughs> uh, about, about Gone Girl for you? Yeah. And Charlene, what about yourself? Do you think that this belongs on the list of the 250 greatest movies ever made?
1: Definitely. Like, I definitely think it belongs on the top 250. I'm quite surprised that it's at number 10, I have to say. Um, Also, I can't believe that Zodiac and Social Network aren't in there, but anyway. Um, Yeah, I think maybe they speak. And again,
0: I don't want to generalize about the IMDb IMDb audience, but it's worth noting that last week we talked about like uh, American Beauty, which is another film about masculinity and crisis in Mm -hmm. 1999. I feel like you know maybe Fight oh, Club that? skews. That is at sixty three. Okay. And I feel like that sort of like skews. I you know sort of. Yeah. I feel like of the Fincher films, Fight Club and Gone Girl, um, yeah. skew a little bit towards the IMVs areas of interest. I mean, mm-hmm. you
4: could probably edit the final scene of the Social Network to show you know um, Mark Zuckerberg just like rating movies on IMDb <laughs> and, <you> know, <laughs> fade, and fade out. <laughs> Fair I point. <Yeah>.
0: Yeah, maybe, maybe they don't like seeing themselves reflected <laughs> back on This is a bad them. movie. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Doesn't reflect the true character of Mark Zuckerberg or people who rate things on the internet yeah. Uh, yeah. or compare things. Very true.
2: Yeah, I, I imagine in the um, in the Congress hearings, it's like, just slightly off topic. But I believe a lot of people are spending an inordinate amount of time rating movies because... Even if they're not released yet. Is this true? Because <laughs> they don't want them to be good.
0: Um, so like, Black, I, I Black really Panther, can't yeah. comment
2: on that. I'm sorry. Yeah. Black Panther. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Captain Marvel.
0: But um, in terms of, of... So Andrew, what about yourself? Do you think that this belongs on the list of the 250 greatest movies ever made? Yes, I
2: do think it belongs on the list. Um, And um, I don't think it should be as high as it is. And I think it's to do with the kind of... The um the audience for this list, or yeah, sorry,
0: sus- and the audience for the film as well. I think we're gonna have to talk about that. I suspect Andrew's yeah. like suck I... all the joy out, like <laughs> liposuction all of the joy out, and build a little joy bomb out of it. Yeah,
2: exactly. Yeah, yeah. to take all the joy out and <clears throat> then sell it
0: back to um... <laughs> all those people who enjoyed it. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I would kind of I'd agree with that. I think it's a hugely influential, and important film. I think it's a film that says something that's very relevant. And interesting enough. I think it's a film that has only gotten more relevant as time has gone on. Mm. The biggest issue with it, and again, this is something I think we maybe vaguely grappled with before, but I maybe not quite to the extent that we're going to have to do it here. Ironically enough, I think we did it with Gone Girl as well, which is the question of like to what extent do you blame a movie for its most vocal proponents? Mm. And like to what extent is... The misreading of a, you know, what what I would argue, because again, movies are subjective, and you could argue that any interpretation of a movie, if it's reasonably grounded, is defensible or whatever. But like, to what extent can you credit or blame a movie for an interpretation that has taken on a life of its own in a very uncomfortable way? Mm. Um, and I mean, I, I, you know, obviously, I don't blame it in Inverted Gommas. I don't think it should be, you know, banned or censored or anything. Because you know, this what nowadays everybody's like. Well, if you a criticism of it, you're saying it should be censored or whatever. I'm like, no, it's just I, I think people
2: don't want to accept those interpretations um, of it, as in the interpretations that 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 make you uncomfortable. Yeah, I think maybe the reason you don't want to accept them is because this movie is very good. Yeah, that's it as well. It's a fantastically yeah. well made. Film. Like these people, the, the the these interpretations may be actually, I I I'm. If, if 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 you're talking about the kind of interpretations that I think you're talking about, I think there might actually be some merit in those. But that people who like this movie don't want to, I guess, identify with that kind of,
0: aspect of it as well. Because, yeah. I mean, there's been some discussion. I mean, even in 2007, when the New York Times did a retrospective on it uh, for a release of a DVD version of it, they were talking about how in some circles, it's uncomfortable to admit that you like Fight Club. It's that situation that Alex described, where yeah, right. it's like, please don't tell me you're a guy who likes Fight Club. And yeah. it's like, you know. <laughs> who, who are these guys who like Fight Club? Can we just qualify As a
1: woman, it's okay for me to like Fight Club. Yeah. No one would ever think that I'm the toxic male. So yeah, yeah. yeah. That's interesting. Like, literally nobody. But people do judge, like, as you just pointed out, they'd just be like, one of those Fight Club men. Yeah. but It's very easy for me to walk down the street wearing a Fight Club t-shirt, because no one will accuse me of that. Which is disappointing. I mean, I can't <laughs>
0: help it that I look like Brad Pitt in my giant fur coat and <laughs> sunglasses, but uh, uh, people just make judgments. Yeah.
4: <laughs> uh. The funny thing is, is like similarly though. I, I you know, got hooked on, and watched that scene and got hooked on the style of it, and, and definitely watched it a bit as a teenager. And then, solidly, I don't think watched it for ten years or something, just because I kind of relegated it to like, oh yeah. Then you know, it was kind of looking back. It did seem kind of. It didn't seem to sort of. I would connect with some of the ideas in the same way and then I watched it, yeah, in my late 20s again and, and laughed so much mm. harder than I think I was laughing yeah. when I was a kid and realised like yeah, no, this is this is a comedy and then to your point, um, Darren, about people who watch this and sort of be like, I'm going to go blow up a Starbucks, yeah. it's, you you really aren't watching the same film It's like, you have know? you actually finished the yes, film? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's very strange that people get that interpretation from it because again, watching it and again watching it for this, you know, I'm laughing, I'm laughing mm-hmm. at, at at Edward Norton turning around and saying anyone who comes out of this room will get a a lead salad while wielding a gun. That's (laughs) a funny line. (laughs) Or you're Uh,
0: all morons. Like, (laughs) Norton's repeated use of the word moron, which is always very satisfactory and things like that.
4: And I think it goes for that, like, that Fincher again, not to harp on too much about that Fincher, but he's got, like, a really funny, sick, twisted sense of humour, but he never really puts it really out there. And it's interesting what you were saying about how Norton wanted to play it broader and he said, no, let's pull it back. Because there's, Really, and I call it like the the baby smoking humor, because there's a bit in Zodiac where they're all on a plane um, and they're going to up to Sacramento or something to get. And David Fincher, he has a conversation with two characters and then he lets the conversation just go on for another three seconds. Because over the tannoy on the the airplane, they say, we've completed our our takeoff. You can all start smoking now. And they all start taking out cigarettes. And as he does that, you can hear a baby crying Mm -hmm. like in the smoking section. The implication being you're all in a small plane. This baby's (laughs) going to be full. And I was thinking he's only done that as like a little tiny joke for, you know, the ten people who might laugh at that association. Mm. And fight club's full of those. Like yeah. Yeah. Helena Bonham Carter, when she's filling up the coffee, if you watch Edward Norton, like, tries to grab her. The coffee's overflowing. So she's, like, (laughs) filled it all the way to the top and then it's overflowing. (laughs) There's so many little things like that in this film. And I think they shine through on, like, a later watch. You're laughing at this in a way that I probably wasn't laughing when I was 11. I was probably horrified at some
0: of it. Funny you should mention the baby smoking humour. You probably know this as a Fincher enthusiast. Uh, One of his earliest, uh, kind of, career, when he first sort of uh, entered advertising, he got approached to do anti-tobacco advertisements. And you, you know this one, yeah? Yeah. And his concept was, uh, and it was immediately banned and vetoed, um, but his concept was to do 2001 of Space Odyssey, but with a baby smoking inside the womb in order to advertise that you shouldn't smoke while pregnant. Wow. Yeah, this was what, this would have been in the 70s, right? Yeah.
1: Um,
0: 80s, I think. 80s, yeah. 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 Um, It kind of gives you an idea of, I think, Fincher's sort of wavelength on these. Find
2: the mother who is willing to let her (laughs) smoke (laughs) Smoke on camera. On camera.
0: That was the big issue with it, um, but yeah, no, I, and I think that's it as well. Because I was watching it today, I kind of—it's interesting because I talked a bit about how, like, back to back, we did The Matrix and we did The Sixth Sense, mm. and they're probably my two favorite movies of the ones we're going to cover on this list from 1999. Ironically enough, we did American Beauty and Fight Club back to back. Those were the two I was most kind of dreading or most anxious about approaching again. And what's interesting is rewatching Fight Club is again how funny it was how much i laughed at it how much i kind of like how deeply deeply weirdly kind of esoterically goofy it is yeah mm-hmm. um as opposed to being and again because you've watched so much of a permeated pop culture and so much of it's become mimetic and so much of it has become quoted back mm-hmm. and so much of it has become you know sort of these little gifs and these little statements that are repeated by people who are maybe not the best sorts of people um but like when you're watching it, it's goofy and it's silly and it's irreverent and it's why is that a problem for you? That's though? fair. I know that's fair. Like,
2: yeah, that that's the thing is is is, is kind of um, that people I, can't enjoy um, something um, because other people in, yeah. in um, enjoy it and that they have um, by enjoying it tired it.
0: Well, that, that's right. that's not really the thing. I think if you're being entirely honest, it's more, again, an insecurity thing in terms of me being when I was a kid watching this and loving it and thinking it was fantastic. and worried that when I go back, what I will discover is that the things that my 12 year old self loved about it, who was a 12 year old boy and right. admittedly as a 12 year old boy, you know, would not have had maybe the clearest idea of stuff would have been like, yeah, this stuff is really great. We're going to take down capitalism mm. and women are evil and men need to be men and hunters and gatherers. And that's what I really loved about it. And kind of, so I feel there was a bit of anxiety about going back to it in that sense. If that makes sense,
1: I think if so you have the anxiety, you're probably fine. <laughs> <Yeah. clearly. laughs> Is like I if know. you're even thinking about it. The thing
2: it, it's it's a movie that works on different levels because it does. It works really well on that level that you're describing for the twelve or thirteen year old um, mm. boy, and it's very
0: um, The middle children of history.
2: Yeah, it's it, it's very kind of like meaningful. Yeah. Um. For um. And the kind of what what um the extent to which they want to i suppose take um that that message is is uh maybe
4: yeah i I think like you mentioned the the graduate and how they want you to get that screenplay, and I think or the the screenwriter i th- I thought the interesting thing about that story is that you know the graduate is this incre- again incredibly funny film that that kind of works as a comedy but also works on all these other different levels mm. and stuff, and it particularly typifies that sort of post-war baby boomer atmosphere of, I can literally do anything. You know, we're going to the moon. Uh, I can (laughs) literally do whatever I want. And as a result, I don't want to do anything. Whereas Fight Club, you know, they sort of keep going back to this idea that you go to school and then you go to college and then you go to your corporate office, drone work. And then, and Edward Norton is so good at sort of articulating that, that feeling that you're trapped, that you're so incredibly trapped and feeling that, he sort of, like, indulges in being alone on this one track so much. Like, the really funny thing I'd always think is that he finds this really weird thing to do, which is go to support groups when you're not sick mm. and, and sort of get an emotional release from them. And then he meets this, like, interesting, beautiful woman and immediately thinks, I have to arrange this so I never run into her again. again. Someone, <laughs> the only other person in the world who's doing the exact same thing as me, yeah. I now need to make sure I never run into her again. And what you were sort of saying about those the layers of that that's why what edward norton i assume talking about a generational thing this is a film about that sort of like now we go to starbucks we get our coffee we go home we have our office room we have our ikea furniture it's a lot more you have this idea that we don't have as many options you kind of have to do the one thing yeah. your dad has told you to do yeah
2: because he um i suppose yeah they did to to your point there like he he finds her compelling and Wants her, but she's not marriage material. Perhaps <laughs> you know that, and 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 that he has gotten so used to kind of um,
0: she's not he's Formulating yeah. his
2: yeah, yeah yeah exactly yeah that 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 this doesn't fit into. But um, she
4: also is like the, the person
2: the, he's pretending to be. Yeah,
4: and that, but she's like the a reflection of the exact same kind of choices in the same way that he's... Her lie
0: reflected my lie back yeah. to me. Yeah,
4: and and when you go to see her apartment, which is the absolute inverse of his, down to, like, the dildo just being left out. <laughs> it's, it's, it's really incredible. Yeah, and, and she's taking meals and wheels from elderly people and all that. But it's... It, it, I would think it's like a reaction to those same pressures and that, that same problem. It's just, it's done very, very well between them. And, and again, Ed, Helena Bonham Carter and Edward Norton are so perfectly cast in those two like, roles. What's interesting
2: actually is that... Thank, um, you, thank you, by the way, for saying dead little though. Not your. We don't use the proper... Right? <laughs>
0: to use an impersonal term mm-hmm. um, but actually it's funny you should mention that Helena Bonham Carter because again she before this had done my primarily prestige period dramas and the last one she did was The Wings of the Dove actually which got have got her cast in this Edward it's worth noting that apparently she's, she corpses a lot and one of Edward Norton's re- big defining memories of shooting Fight Club is that Fincher and again, actors have talked about how Fincher beats a good take out of you. He wears you down. He'll shoot like 40 or 50 takes of each shot. And so he gets the one that he wants. The idea is that he wears you down so much that you're not even acting anymore.
4: Apparently the phrase is moving on. And when he gets the like, scene he wants done perfectly, he'll oh. just like very quietly say into the microphone, moving on and everyone in the crew will be like oh thank god we can do this again
0: <laughs> with wow. a different scene um but what he says what norton norton remembers is that bonham carter would keep corpsing during scenes and his response was this is gonna take 160 takes <laughs> <laughs> Um, but they do—they do play very well together. But second question then, uh, which is, would it be on your own personal 250? So if, I know you—you you guys obviously have curated lists of your 250 favorite movies ever. But Alex, would this be on your own personal top 250 movies you've ever seen? Again,
2: I you think can it, put every Fincher. Movie. That's what I, yeah, I mean. That's I the freedom. Would, I I'd probably
4: put every Fincher film, with the exception maybe of Alien Three and Benjamin Button, on this list. And Fight love Club Alien would definitely 3. be on it. Well, the assembly
0: cut. I love the assembly cut.
4: No, I said, but I don't I would that's yeah. not exactly a fincher <laughs> <laughs> We won't get into it. We won't get into it. But yes, <laughs> that's for the Fincher podcast. <laughs> I, I think for other reasons, this is like a lot of the films that I just loved and like set me on the path of loving films that are rated high on my lists, Jurassic Park, you know, things like this. Recently again, having talked about The Matrix, realizing like that was a huge deal, that would be on the list. This would be on my list for similar reasons. This was like a seminal moment in like, oh, right, films can be like this. Films can be like weird and funny. And like right from that opening line where he sort of says something like, I forgot about all the explosives underneath me and wondered how clean that gun was. I was like, I am in. <laughs> <laughs> this is, that is exactly what I would be thinking. So, yes, this would very much probably be. It'd be on the lower end of my 250, but probably on there. Um, probably on there. Yeah. And Charlene? It's be on definitely
1: there? on my 250 list.
0: And, and is it around 10?
1: Uh, maybe not 10, but it would definitely be in like maybe 20. Okay, yeah, I don't know. I say that now, but like there's a lot of films, so. yeah. <laughs>
0: and I mean, would it would top your Edward Norton division.
1: Sorry, radio silence. Uh, <laughs> pro- probably, huh? probably. Yeah, I'm a big so, fan yeah. of
0: the 25th
4: hour. I think that's still one of my hours. Yeah. People tend to sleep on that
0: one, actually. Yeah.
4: which
2: is uh, I never realized that the game was a pincher uh... film. Well, I I never realized it was a thing that existed. Like, the okay, Michael Douglas Sean yeah, Penn Yeah, yeah, movie. You, I, you, you don't the, realize I, you're, you're in the game right, right yeah. now. <laughs> <laughs> I, am. It's the, I it's... saw I saw that David Fincher had done a, a movie called The Game, and I was thinking, oh God, is is it that? Um, what's his name? Um, uh, uh, Strauss um kind of uh, book about pickup artists oh, have they, oh yeah have they made a movie into <laughs> that, like that and, on and david Fincher has done it, is it a, yeah and is it I, kind of like yeah if I, one director had to do that i, I feel think like he, he <laughs> might do an
0: okay job of, 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 of jesse eisenberg yeah.
4: yeah he'd probably like do it to be making a comedy about these types For of men it, and then other men who watch it, like this is brilliant too, this is my yeah. bible <laughs> yeah, exactly,
2: yeah. defenders of the game say <laughs> that it's that it's satirical I've I've had people kind of uh, try to to uh, like make that sort of argument that that it that it's a piece of investigative journalism that it's not kind of um,
0: a
1: how to guide or yeah anything. yeah yeah. Okay. But doesn't he do like um like conferences and spoken word tours? Absolutely supporting that, <laughs> yeah, which is <laughs> what <laughs> makes that, that okay. kind of he's a um, performance a artist. performance artist. Yeah. <laughs> except, except,
0: unlike the performance artist artist in this film, he's not the one who's molested. Um, sorry deep cut um deep cut bad taste humor in the spirit of the film that we're discussing and andrew uh would it be on your own personal 250 um i i would put it in my i think i i think i would put it in my number 10 really
2: wow Wow, yeah i did i just like watching it today um i i I thought it it was very kind of um um and I, I don't know i i i i think i think it's clever enough to actually um to to do all of that sort of like challenging um kind of commentary on um on uh like masculinity or like i i i don't think i don't think it's i don't think it's entirely um uh, satirical, and that the point of the movie is 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 that all of these things that we've said is is are um, completely meaningless. Completely meaningless. I think. I. Th- I, th- I. I. Well,
0: Fincher said when he read it, it's like, "Who put your camera inside my head?" Mm-hmm. It's right. His response. Yeah. script.
2: And and um. Uh, or who's been uh, Chuck. To my uh, Chuck Palahniuk. Um. Or um. Uh, uh, apologies if I'm mispronouncing it as well. It's okay, nobody um, knows how to no, pronounce it. <laughs> it's <laughs> it's Tom the world's Chuck. greatest mystery. <laughs> Chuck. Yeah. Um uh he like he, he he he's very clear about kind of I suppose I won't say what the movie is about. No. Yeah. Yeah, but he, he's 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 clear enough um that what what those kind of twelve or thirteen year olds think the movie is about is what it's about. Mm-hmm. Now that doesn't mean that you should go uh, blow up a Starbucks, but it is kind of. Was it
0: him or was it Fincher who said that? Like the whole point is like you don't watch The Graduate and think I really want to. I am Jack's medulla oblongata. My friend's mom. <laughs> yeah. Um, right. Yeah yeah, you know, yeah. yeah. Yeah.
1: Exactly that. I mean, you can be taught how to look at capitalism, and you can look at your trajectory in life and question that, but that doesn't mean you're going to blow up your Starbucks. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. It it it, it, it it's taking it's taking the kind of. Um, it's taking a lot of problems that it's difficult to take seriously in a movie and that other movies have tried to do and are on the 250, but it's doing it better. And um, we may have talked about last we week. We may. What? Last week? Last. Good. Because i am got to talk about what I think of this movie. <laughs> in relation, in to, relation that, to, to that, that movie. Yeah,
0: yeah uh it, that movie is american beauty by the way okay. as listeners will probably already know <laughs> hopefully assuming that you didn't just jump in on the fight club podcast um and then final question uh which is if listeners have not seen fight club yet would you recommend that they pause the podcast run out watch it and come back and listen to the rest alex
4: yeah and i think sadly now more than ever unfortunately like there was probably a good 10 years after Fight Club where you know maybe even next 15 years where it did exist as this sort of time capsule of, of 1999 and now given what's going on and in the internet and the world and a few other things it, it definitely is a film probably to check out because watching it again and realising like yeah, the project mayhem is is probably alive and well in certain parts of the world. It's just not happening
0: in a basement. It's happening in a chat room. Yes,
4: yeah, it's it's definitely or DMS exactly. It's definitely a lot more relevant now, sadly. Um, and again, going back to like the satirical element of this, that, you know, picking up on that this is a film that is sort of, as as you were saying, um, Andrew, simultaneously sort of making fun of these things while also containing some of the points about feeling trapped and feeling nihilistic and feeling like you don't have anywhere else to go and and taking you know taking things taking your rage out on something it but it's it's yeah it, i definitely do think it's it's one to um probably watch in 2019 sadly though for, not for not for good reason.
0: What's interesting though is, yeah, you point out that it's a, it's a movie that kind of had a good 10 years where it kind of lay fallow. And it is in, in terms of even in terms of its themes because like immediately afterwards there was 9-11 pretty much. And that sort of meant that for the next 10 years you were not worried about global capitalism. You were worried about like militarism, mm. military industrial complex and stuff like it's that. it's
2: a movie about a controlled explosion. <laughs> well, yeah. Mm,
0: oh, yeah. But I mean, yeah. <laughs> we'll, we'll talk specifically, but it does actually draw specifically from an earlier attack on the World Trade Center. Um, but I mean, the thing is that like, for the 10 years afterwards, it would have seemed like, again, that time capsule of 1999. Jeez, remember how things were in 99 when we were worried about crap like credit card companies. <laughs> yeah. What's well, interesting is that even outside of the stuff that you alluded to there in the chat rooms, in terms of financial crisis and stuff like that, in terms of, you know, looking at I'm things like corporate cloud malfeasance. <laughs> <laughs> I was
4: just thinking that watching the like again, cloud computing took care of a lot of, of those issues. Like you yeah. wouldn't really be able to attack in the same way. But on your point, actually, um, one of the things I did want to mention was like, Brad Pitt and Edward Norton are so perfectly cast as that, like, sort of Neanderthal version of, you know, Alphabeta mm-hmm. nonsense. Like, yeah. if you look at the way mm. they're presented in this film, like, Edward yeah. Norton's shoulders look like they've been sanded down. And yeah. his, like, tie is permanently down. His skin is his... almost green yeah. Yeah. and gray. Yeah. And, and Brad Pitt in is... in great
2: shape. He's <laughs> yeah. still not kind
4: of, yeah. Yeah. Um, and particularly compared to how he looks in something like American History X, where he's sort of much more playing yeah. the the big, you know, muscly guy. The two of them in this film—it's so funny watching them. Like with Brad Pitt's gelled, spiked hair and colorful sunglasses, and Edward—baby oiled, yeah. And Edward Norton is just this, like as you say, green little like lizard in a tiny little corporate <laughs> office drone. Outfit. It's so well done.
0: Apparently, actually, they arranged himself and Pitt that what would happen is they shot the movie mostly in sequence, and Norton would actually kind of starve himself as the movie went on, so he would get thinner and smaller and slouch more and more. And Pitt would arrange that he would work out even more. Now, I mean, like, there's a shirtless scene with a rubber glove early on, and you're like, <laughs> I don't really feel like you can improve that. Um, but apparently, he did spend much more time later on. So, when you get to the climax of the film, but even in terms of how he's dressed, yeah. mm. uh, Pitt's character is much sort of uh, bigger, mm. outlandish, and, sort of outlandish yeah. and kind of in charge, whereas Norton's is literally wasting away. Yeah. You know, at certain points, he's l- losing his clothes, even. Yeah, yeah. Uh, quite literally, in order Running to around kind of, his
1: underpants yeah, it. <laughs> to
0: represent sort of the idea of one of them becoming stronger and the other becoming weaker. Um, and Charlene, would you recommend that people watch this?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think uh, to echo what you said, like I think it is particularly interesting to rewatch it now. Uh, there's so much going on that this is so relevant to, and in a way, I think there is. If you haven't seen this film, you've probably heard idiots talking about it or heard of idiots who are. I think really... you mean morons. Morons. All Sorry, morons. much more appropriate. <laughs> yeah. um, I I think that you might be pleasantly surprised at how rich this film is and while a lot of the discussions in it um i i think if this film was to be made today it would not be made today yeah. because you wouldn't be allowed to actually do what fincher did and that is to put these points out there in not in a ridiculable way but then yeah. like you know it counters it towards the end and it makes you look at things and it makes you argue with yourself and there's a lot of um a lot of stuff in there that you know we just wouldn't tolerate that discussion in a film anymore um, but I think it does it in a really grown up way and I think that it's while it obviously is easy for people to misread it, um, I feel like it's a rich film that deserves your time and your attention. Because I, I think ultimately it's saying the right things to us.
0: It's worth noting in terms of, of what you alluded to there, in terms of difficulty kind of what would happen if this movie were released today and the cacophony around it. This is actually being this podcast will be released the same weekend, the Joker's opening.
1: <laughs> Interesting.
0: Um and i'll I'll leave that on said, but Andrew, um, what about yourself in terms of would you recommend people watch it
2: um yeah yeah, i would i would am um, and um yeah do you were you were um i think you were you were you were talking about kind of um idiots talking about this movie, I feel like i i'm I'm worried I'm going to be that it's gonna be one of those podcasts one of those like, like Gran podcasts. Torino yeah? Yeah, yeah 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 where I'm
0: the idiot kind of, yeah. um but at least we have guests. <laughs> um all right then so join us on the other side of the spoiler zone stop spoiler zone so charlene what is fight club about for you
1: fight club for me is that is actually a tougher question it is for most films but fight club for me is about men losing their way in the world as a result of know how the like the traditional family broke down women went out to work blah blah, blah uh, and generations of men who feel a bit lost and like what is masculinity anymore if it isn't going out and being the breadwinner uh, and i think it's ultimately about that and trying to find a way to tear that down and replace that with something else however yeah, misguided
0: because there, there is a uh, kind of a cultural discussion where like People argue that the 60s were about young people questioning where they are and how they belonged in society and coming to terms of that and realigning that. The 70s, you had like second wave feminism and stuff like that happening and women kind of building on sort of gains that had taken place in the earlier decades. And then you have the 90s which is, again, you know, and again, Andrew's like, Darren's going to go off on one here. But the 90s were this decade of, like, economic prosperity and relative political stability. I mean, obviously, you had things like the the Clinton impeachment trial happening, you had intervention overseas and stuff like that. But generally speaking, people were making lots of money. They were getting ahead. You know, people were relatively stable. They were comfortable. And society was seen as sort of existing in a relatively stable fashion. So what you have is this weird situation where men... Um, who have traditionally been, as you point out, like at the top of the social pecking order. They've been the providers, the Mm hunter-gatherers. They're the people who have an income. They're the patriarchs, the head of the household, stuff like that. You had the idea of the institution of marriage, the family home, the nuclear family, all that sort of ideal of masculinity that had been built up and this idea of like a man as provider and stuff like that, where you had a situation where everything was so stable and so calm that there wasn't anything happening, like say Vietnam or or, or anything like that, that would cause a kind of a crisis that you could divert attention away from. Which they literally
1: say in the film, Brad Pitt says it, that like we've had no great war. No great depression. Great depression. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, our lives are, are a
2: great,
1: great depression, depression. Is our our, 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 our great, great wars wars. Is a, a spiritual one? Yeah, and and our, our great, great depression, depression is our lives. Is our lives. Yeah. yeah, pretty much it's, on the nose there. You know, yeah. it's a really
0: really great line. Yeah, they,
2: but like like in spite of everything you're saying, they, there was um, at the same time a real crisis, and I think movies, even even movies that uh, mo- a lot of people like these movies that came around at at, at that time because they they're trying to express this. A lot of people really like um, uh, the, the Matrix. Yeah. They, uh, um, well, obviously, a lot of people really like The Matrix. But a, a, a lot of people really like American Beauty. A lot of people really like Office Space. Yeah, um, sort of yeah. but for me, even with even with The Matrix, but especially with um, Office Space and American Beauties, when those movies are complaining, it, it feels kind of churlish. Yeah. This movie gets across how um actually um how how this crisis kind of feels yeah. you know it, it yeah. how how dead um the dead. narrator is yeah. Yeah. yeah
0: but i mean the the wonderful thing that, though is that that's tied to his success like his his spiritual and existential despair is tied to the fact that he has by all accounts, succeeded. He has a luxury apartment. He furnishes it with IKEA furniture. And when you see the prices going across the screen, it's not cheap. He has a stable and steady job. He Mm. travels steadily for work and things like that. He has accomplished all of the markers that society expects for success. And the irony is that having accomplished those... That he doesn't find spiritual fulfillment, which is, is fascinating because a lot of the other existential structures and struggles that we talked about, like, you know, the young people in the 60s or women in the 70s were about like attaining something that was missing. Mm. The irony of, of kind of the masculine, the masculine crisis of the 90s is that it largely came from a place of having most of what you think you need materially, but not no. having a crisis to confront or resolve.
2: Not all, though. And, and and this it's a broader uh masculine crisis and it's it's um then just kind of the nineties and i think palloniaak has talked about how this is a this is a cambellian thing yes mm-hmm. yeah that 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 either 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 men's uh fathers will uh will leave them or they'll eventually kind of uh, re- re- reject their fathers and and look for secondary fathers. That's it, exactly it. Which, yeah. which is what Tyler Durden is in, yeah. in this.
0: Because he's yeah. argued that, yeah, um, uh they're, they're, Well,
2: they're, they're, it's a spoiler zone. They're both Tyler Durden. Both Tyler Durden. <laughs> 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 Brad Pitt, let's say. say yeah. yeah
0: But the uh, Palunic has actually talked about this because his, his Campbellian sort of theory is that, um, and he discussed this in... He published a sequel comic book, actually, with Dark Horse a couple of years ago, Mm. uh, which not at all, I suspect, tied to the mass embezzlement by his manager that left him largely bankrupt and thus forced to generate a large output of work. It's an interesting comic book, but he discusses in that and in interviews around it this idea of the second father. Because the idea is that, mm-hmm. and again, this is this is a product of, we discussed this, I think, back when we were talking about In the Sixth Sense and the fear of divorce in American movies. But I mean, obviously, it would be in American Beauty as well. And it's, you know, arguably here with the narrator talking about his own father who, like, set up families. And Tyler Durden describes them as, like, franchises where he would move on every six years and leave a family without a father and how the father's God and stuff like that. But the secondary father is, is one of the things I find interesting.
2: Yeah. Polonick pa- uh, actually talked about a, a, an officer and a gentleman. About, about the the um, uh, Richard Gere's um, uh, character and that, and his relationship with the with the drill sergeant. And Lou Gossett Jr., who won the yeah, Oscar for that. Exactly, yeah, exactly, um, as, yeah. As a kind of an example of yeah. what he was trying to...
0: And Poloniak actually, he writes himself into fight, fight Club 2 as a character, actually, where he talks about That was about the moment scene. I threw
4: the comic book across. The <laughs> God damn it. Yeah,
0: he writes himself in, and he actually articulates the themes that he talks about in interviews. But he talks about how... One of the issues about the crisis of masculinity is that you have the erosion of, like, authority outside the home. So you have, like, priests who are assumed to be paedophiles, Mm -hmm. teachers who have boundaries imposed on them, again, for the safety of kids, but where they're not allowed any emotional sort of closeness to the kids that they're teaching. Boy Scout leaders, you know, Boy Scouts have been in decline ever since, and obviously there's the, you know, insinuation uh, about those sort of relationships, if a man has a relationship with a child who is not his own. Mm -hmm. And sort of, like, Polanyak talking about the breakdown of those sort of things, leaving men... Largely rudderless. Mm. And again, like, this is the thing that would have been a product of the 70s and 80s. Mm. But those men coming of age in the
2: 90s. Yeah, yeah, I mean, kids on um, uh, milk cartons. Yeah. Like, just creating this impression of this...
0: Um, vulnerable it's
2: yeah. out there stranger danger the, yeah, well, not, yeah. Not, not, not even
0: that like I would argue even things like latchkey kids kids whose like parents both parents were both working coming home and having TV and again like mm-hmm. they mentioned specifically TV sold you this idea of a dream you know working a job you don't want to buy crap you don't need mm-hmm. but the idea of ki- entire generation of kids raised by TV and again I've, I've like I've, you know, I've written about TV and I've written about things like say Star Trek And it's amazing. And again, I can't generalize about this because I I, I haven't written What if the electricity went out here for, would you miss television? (laughs) After 30 days, I didn't
2: miss it at all. You'd be Uh, busy
1: making soap. (laughs) (laughs) But the um, the
0: thing thing about that is like when you read these interviews with people and even like people like, say, Vince Gilligan who wrote for the X-Files, it's staggering how frequently you come across the anecdote of people being like, well, what happened is I would come home from school. My mom would be out working. My dad wouldn't be there. And I'd sit down in front of the TV and I'd watch Star Trek or the Brady Bunch. Yeah. It would be like for an hour a week, it was like mm-hmm. I had, a, you know, I had a not, not to be melodramatic, but it was like an hour a week. I had a family or whatever. Yeah. And like, I mean, even people like Manny Cotto, uh, who did like Odyssey 5 and stuff, talking about how, you know, it got to the stage where he was so familiar with the programming on television. He'd be like, well, it's going to be another seven weeks before I see that Star Trek episode I like mm-hmm. because he'd gotten the rhythm down. And like yeah. this idea of kids who have this entire sort of absence in their lives. Mm. And I think that, yeah, Fight my club kind of gets at that, I think my club really sort of gets at that. Yeah, sorry.
1: Um, I was just going to kind of say the interesting thing that, uh, well, my reading of it is you could argue that it's his next step in life is to get a wife and children and the, and that Marla is the big disruptor because She's probably the thing that introduced Tyler Durden into his psyche, right? So, like, it's yeah. just like she has, she is the first thing that he has, somebody has already pointed out that he has, like, been intrigued by for a long time, but she's not marriage material. And he just has an actual mel- mental breakdown so that he can love her <laughs> yeah I mean, beautiful love story <laughs> that,
4: that, that really ties into the ending and the ending I liked when I was 12 because I was like well, what is this rock song and the buildings yeah. are exploding but when I was watching uh, again more recently I'm like that's so sweet they're they're together and mentioning the comic book that was the one thing I did like that that Um, he's married the narrator is married to Marla and they live Mm. in suburbia and have a child together but then she might be cheating on him with Tyler Durden like that was I was sold on that (laughs) uh, yeah she's
0: cutting his meds (laughs) (laughs) so that she can cheat with him on uh, Tyler Durden but I mean even even that and again this is one of the interesting things about the film and again I'm not this isn't a truther moment this isn't a like this is a secret conspiracy theory about the film it's worth noting that as much as like what helps give away the idea of tyler durden being a product of his imagination is the fact that nobody engages with both of them at the same time Mm. marla singer even um never really interacts with anybody outside of like you know small Mm. scenes with like the cops or even at the end where she's dragged but yeah but largely speaking she's mostly of herself but i mean tyler does the same thing tyler does those things as well Mm. it's easy to imagine the narrator doing something similar in those scenes as well but i mean more in terms of just underscoring how isolated Everybody is. Yeah. And I mean, the fact she's won, She's pulled out of her apartment building screaming about Marla Singer and how she's a terrible person and how, you know, that she really should die um, and all this sort of stuff because the city's so anonymous and yeah. so random and because everybody's, as you pointed out, is so disconnected from one mm. another that it's, as you point. I think it was Alex pointed out, it's the moment at which you have, like, I might see this woman again. We must avoid that at all <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, No matter what
4: the cost. Just, just on the city being anonymous, I think, again, looking at it, because, you know, when you watch something so many times, you start wandering and noticing other things. Like the signs in this film are so like perfectly fincher constructed like the topless bar the hey the t the has fallen off so it looks like a hopeless bar in the background <laughs> of one of the things the um there was another one uh when oh yeah when he was going putting marla on the bus and i was thinking like time to get the direct bus out of town and on the side of the bus it says direct, direct bus, bus. <laughs> <laughs> it's very it's
0: it's kind of like seven has the same sort of yeah, generic it, quality any right? city yeah. america yeah yeah, yeah. Very, um tough. it is worth noting actually that again and you're right when you say that, like, it's Marla that seems to possibly trigger Tyler Durden in his, in his mind. Because it's like, with the gun in his throat, his thought is, suddenly I realized all of this, the gun, the bombs, the revolution, has something to do with a girl named Marla Singer. Not a, not a boy named Tyler Durden, a yeah. girl named Marla Singer. Um, and when he sees her for the first time, he has the immediate visceral reaction of, and she ruined everything as well.
1: Yeah. She literally takes over His spirit animal too In his like, mm, dreams yes. yeah. So it's like this thing That he's created <laughs> In his mind As like his little cave Trample space Yeah, yeah. Uh, Suddenly Marla's there smoking And being obnoxious <laughs> And he's just like He can't shake her I mean and it's quite romantic In that yeah. like you know, you meet someone and they're the one, and that's that. And you have to completely disintegrate everything you knew, uh, in order to be able to be with her. It's it's mad. <laughs> I,
0: I, 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 I do love this idea of Fight Club as a as a love story.
1: No, like, I, know, do think when Harry met <laughs> Sally for nineteen ninety nine.
4: Like if if you were talking about what what do you think Fight Club means, I actually do think that it, it's kind of a it, it very much I would agree with Charlene. It's it's about toxic masculinity and dealing with all that. But it's it's a very romantic film. It is about someone who's sort of on this track and so annoyed that unlike the graduate, you don't have this range of options. You're on a track. You got your job. He literally is working in the exact same office as Neo from the Matrix, right down to the green hues and yeah. like the little like cardboard cutouts and the terrible boss and everything. But instead of waking up and becoming a superhero he meets a girl who like throws off everything about his whole plans for life and I think he's partly annoyed that like he's
2: she's not a cheerleader at at his daughter's um, (laughs) high school school. but he's sort of
0: with a a number choreographed by Paul Abdul
4: I think like because he's so and part of the appeal the initial part of the appeal of the film is because he's so nihilistic and you're looking at him and even like as a kid I was going to school which I found annoying so I'm watching him go to work and being like yeah that sucks (laughs) And then he meets a girl who, like, throws off everything about his life. And that leads to the final scene where he says, you've just met me at a very strange time in my life. (laughs) But the strange time is caused by her because despite of all his rejection of the traditional values, and we even have a line in the film where he's like, do we really need another woman in our lives or Mm -hmm. something stupid – it oh does. yeah,
0: we're a generation of men raised by well, women. No. It's because t- Tyler, Tyler is openly like resentful and misogynistic. No,
2: huh? I I disagree. Okay,
0: I don't I don't I
2: I I think th- 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 definitely people have um, uh, grabbed onto that to kind of justify or provide kind of like support for their own misogyny. It's not that it's not that um, it's not that there's anything wrong with women. It's that a woman isn't the answer to? Um, your um, problems or to your crisis, and so many um, uh, um, men have been raised to think that that is because you just go from your mother to 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 your girlfriend to your wife, and your wife is the one who's going to kind of you know um, give give your life structure. And yeah.
0: um, I mean, Tyler also of, describes her as a predator posing as a house pet, and you know, and like I mean, there's very much a kind of a, a sense of in the way that Tyler talks about her. Of it being sort of a, you know, again, that stereotype of bros before, you know, hoes. But or whatever he's literally
1: sort of like- constructed so that he can protect... The narrator. Yes, yeah, that's, from, um, from that's yeah, exactly. yeah. it. That's exactly
0: it. I think Tyler is like a silo for that resentment yeah. that the narrator feels. But he's the
1: devil on the shoulder. Yeah, yeah,
4: that's going back to my point that he's he's got his apartment and his job and then he meets a girl and literally nothing else matters nearly Because, mm. but because he's such a screwed up, as she says, the great line Helen Bonham says, you've got some deep-seated emotional problems. <laughs> 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 he, he can't almost comprehend that he's met someone he finds intriguing and would potentially just want to spend the rest of his life with and he spends most of the film literally you know blowing up buildings and setting up <laughs> yes. things until the end when he kind of thinks actually no all of this doesn't matter credit card companies ah sure i'll try but i gotta get marla out because i really care about her and it's it's such a yeah. sort of sweet moment and that's yeah. why the ending is so so it's
1: perfect. so good yeah. but as well like she's not a woman that he can impress with yeah. like his cool furniture yeah. and she's not a woman he can provide for by having some money she's a wild cat like you yeah. don't know what you're gonna do with this woman like she's crazy so like everything he's built up means nothing to her
4: even when like waiters are calling him sir she's like why are they calling you that
1: <laughs> <laughs> she's not impressed yeah.
4: um, not the clam chowder yeah. though. <laughs>
0: but i um, mean yeah and and there is and what kind of yeah there's an interesting sort of dynamic there and i think that there is an aspect of i think tyler is kind of that sort of like housing for that kind of aspect of her but i, I do think there is something yeah um just in terms of the presentation marl has a disruptive influence
1: and that's exactly what she yeah. is. And, mm-hmm. But I, I do think that like going back to your point, for sure, like Tyler says things that people grab onto all the time as like, mm. oh, oh, this makes sense to me. Or like this is a film about men hating women or like how they're right to hate women. But actually Tyler's saying that stuff and it's just a way of the narrator just... processing feelings that are wrong. And mm. like Tyler's the, ultimately the villain because he's the bad side of, of his psyche
0: Watching it again, actually, what kind of really amused me, and again, maybe spoke to me as that guy who was like, I was a 12 year old idiot. Um, It's amazing the amount of contempt that the film has for, not for Tyler, but for Tyler's acolytes. Yeah. Um, Like the film, and again, I was sort of surprised on rewatching it where like the project mayhem guys the film is very very explicit that they are and again in the narrator's words Mm. morons but even the way in which it frames things like um you know he's like uh, he's walking into the house and he's hearing jared leto say and then he said things own you and i was like yeah (laughs) Yeah. and it's like mind-blowing but even things where he's like dealing with the guys who are hiding the secrets of project mayhem he's like i am you know i uh i am elected to uh speak to you that uh even if i did know you couldn't you're a moron yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. but there's this this, and again even the moment and again i think myself and andrew had a huge moment with this where it's like where they talk about the death of robert Paulson, and it's like and they treat it as this grand tragedy that they can't explain i mean it was all going perfectly and then (laughs) then (laughs) then a cop showed up and he shot him and like the narrator's response is you were wearing ski masks at night blowing up buildings What did you think was going to happen? Which I kind of, and as when I was a teenager, all that kind of stuff didn't register with Mm. me. Mm -hmm. I didn't get that same level of the movie kind of being very explicit in its. And I mean, even things like the um, were the three detectives, um, Andrews, oh, yeah. Kevin, and Walker, yeah. um, who are named for the writer of Seven, I believe, as well. The three of them. But when they're trying to like castrate him, and it's like, "Where's the rubber band?" One yeah. yeah. um, <laughs> of them says, "Are we timing this to like you know make sure that?" The other
4: thing that always got me about that is it's it's so juvenile their their approach to something like here is someone trying to stop all their plans and instead of thinking okay we have to arrange for you know maybe he hangs himself in his cell a la Epstein. No 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 we'll just wait till our boss leaves the room for probably three minutes. Then yeah. we'll just cut off his balls. Like there's no plan for after any yeah. of that. He presumably can still report all these things without his death <laughs> to the boss. There's no and like even when they, they get the chief of police or whoever in the bathroom they sort of are just like we'll cut off your balls which is like the biggest you know but like in the world, of, club, in the world yeah. of that yeah. toxic masculinity yeah. instead of killing you which you'd think is the biggest scary well, he doesn't most mind effective putting thing. a gun in, in his mouth and,
2: and, 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 and well I mean that's like...
0: also very uh, masculine in terms of like imagery and stuff like that as well that also has subtext mm. I think what it's getting at
2: is that he, he, he it's gone. <laughs> and it's in his mouth. <laughs> and it's a, yeah, yeah. Um, That's the subtext. Yeah, yeah, yeah. With bullets in it. That, <laughs> that will that, be that propelled fire. out using yeah. gunpowder. Yeah, yeah.
0: Um, but I mean, yeah, even in terms of that, again, it's telling that the first group you see him going to is the testicular cancer support group. And there you meet Robert Paulson, who's played by Meatloaf, um, who gets the first credit after the title of the movie, yeah. which is very <laughs> surreal. You know that they actually, for... Um, And again, this is one of those great Hollywood studio stories. They designed a costume for him that would be filled with birdseed. But the costume designer had to design two separate costumes. One with nipples and one without nipples because they weren't sure what the studio would allow. Oh, wow! Which is kind of amazing because they're boobs.
4: <laughs> yeah, because they're amazing. Boobs. Yeah, <laughs> I, I was like, the story that apparently Meatloaf, you know, liked the book and, and heard they were casting, didn't exactly know which role he was going for, but had apparently just lost like loads of weight and was thinking, like This is my time. And then he arrives and Fincher's like, So I'm thinking you're gonna play Bitch Tits Bob. And, you know, sort of being, like. <laughs> Oh, oh, okay, but I've lost all this weight. Not to worry, we got a fat suit.
1: You're just gonna have to wear that. Poor old Meatloaf. I mean, Meatloaf
0: talks about how he learned directing from, and again, I don't know how much of this is true. It seems to jar a little bit with Fincher's sort of controlling reputation. But like, according to Meatloaf, he'd be in like he'd visit, you know, he'd be in the editing bay or he'd pop by the editing bay, and Fincher'd be like, "So, what do you think?" And Meatloaf would be. Uh, maybe take 24 or take 26 and Fincher would be like you're right take 26 it is mm-hmm. that and doesn't get, sound very Fincher that doesn't sound very Fincher but it sounds very meatloafy. I was going to say yeah <laughs> I do love the idea of meatloaf just wandering around offering dispensing sort of dispensing sort of directorial advice
1: I'm pretty sure he knows everything anyway meatloaf yeah. he, he can do anything he can do anything <laughs> but he won't do that I like all the other
4: like um seeing all the other actors playing the space monkeys, you know, Bill Tench from yes. Ryan Hunter. Yeah. I, I was like, he's, oh, yeah. yeah. He's,
1: he's like one of the main ones. Yeah. Yeah. And,
0: and Jared Leto explaining the Joker's origin story. He's certainly damaged after that. <laughs> That's <laughs> oh, very oh, true. I
1: remember when that I like happened. that line, um, where, um, what's his name? Tyler Durden says, um, We've been raised to believe we'll all be millionaires and movie stars and rock gods, but we won't. And literally, Jerry Little's right Ger- there, looks Jared which is all rock of those stars, things. Yeah. <laughs> like, one of the things you're that, the one who actually <laughs> is made that. it. <laughs> I mean, that,
0: that's the thing that I really like about the movie, and I think again we're probably going to talk about American Earth's relationship to American Beauty uh, in a moment. But one of the things that distinguishes it for me from American Beauty is that American Beauty doesn't seem entirely aware of the concept of irony uh, in how it approaches the material, yeah. Yeah. whereas Fight Club. Yeah. It's layered yeah. with yeah. irony. It's yeah. irony heaped upon irony. Oh, yeah. So you have those scenes about like being you know rock movie stars, rock gods, and male models, and it's like Jared Leto's face. But you have even things like the bit where Brad Pitt. Brad Pitt is standing there on a bus, looking at a Gucci advertisement, saying, "Is that what a, you know? What a real man looks, looks like?" But like, yeah. <laughs> well, he holds do, the, the, the same pose later on yeah, in, yeah, in the, in the yeah. basement. Yeah. yeah, it's dramatic irony as well with, yeah. it, with
2: uh, like. Um, a bit of um, uh, um, kind of uh, flashback humor, yes, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, and with yeah. the and with the big uh, cock yeah. appearing yeah. Yeah. at, at the, the very final the very shot. shot, yeah. yeah.
0: But even things where the narrator the, uh, directly addresses the camera, but even Durden does, and where the film seems to shake yeah. in a way that you've been conditioned to expect when they talk
4: about the cigars mm, yeah. of humor, despite being, uh, being shot yeah. on digital, it like yeah. comes yeah. off its yeah. film yeah. Yeah. <laughs> which, is,
0: which is really really great. But even things like Fincher. Constructing, and again, this is the thing where I think this is part of what makes it so difficult to read and so interesting, so compelling, is that it is a parody of kind of the excesses of like materialist, commercialist culture. But it is shot, edited, and filmed in a way yeah. that look. And again, this is because of Fincher's background. Fincher's yeah. like Fincher directed commercials and Fincher yeah. directed music videos. I was videos.
4: gonna say like a half a year after that, not long after this, he made a Heineken commercial with Brad Pitt for the Super Bowl and like used <laughs> the same cinematographer. And it looks like a deleted scene from Fight Club. it's incredible.
0: <laughs> which is again, and that's the wonderful level of irony, which is like Fight Club talking about how you know you're using media to sell you things you don't need, followed by David Fincher, Brad Pitt, and the cinematographer of Fight Club selling you stuff you don't need.
4: <laughs> yeah. There's actually a Tumblr which lists because Fincher. Once said that there's a, a Starbucks cup in every single shot of the film, and there's a Tumblr that have gone through every single what? shot <laughs> without finding all the Starbucks cups because they're all the way through the it. Yeah. Cup, yeah, I don't yeah. think he, it's right about every single shot. I'd say he did that to annoy nerds, yeah. probably like myself, to go off and try and find them. <laughs> yeah. But there yeah. are a lot of them. Yeah. Even That's like
0: what looks like product placement for stuff like Krispy Kreme Donuts, for example, mm. which is like because they talk about Krispy Kremes being crap. In the trash you got the camera moving through the Krispy Kreme donut pack. And even when they meet Robert Paulson, he's carrying a tray of Krispy, <laughs> yeah. Krispy Kreme donuts. But which- well, yeah,
2: when 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 they're talking about how um in the future um in 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 space it's all going to be owned by corporations. Yes. Which is very pressing that yeah, really <laughs> SpaceX. Yeah. yeah. Um, but we yeah
1: we've no, accepted it, haven't we?
2: And it's kind <laughs> of pretty much. Yeah. And yeah. yeah. <laughs> reconciled ourselves to it. It makes more sense to think of uh, a private company now going into space mm-hmm. than who else is government. gonna do it. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Like. <laughs>
0: um, but yeah, and again like but the, the the wonderful thing is the level of irony that it, that it kind of, the movie has which allows it to be kind of more interesting, more nuanced and more complex than something like American Beauty, which doesn't have that layer. And so you you have that sort of like, it feels like that movie's a lot clearer in exactly what it's saying, which is maybe not age. Well, you know, you can listen to last week's episode and kind of figure out how that worked then. But here you have that level of, how aware and referential, how ironic is this? Is this being ironic about being ironic to mm-hmm. an extent? Is this sort of so kind of or Because it's sincere it's... as well. Yeah. 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 Which,
2: is, Which the, is why it's not yeah. annoying. Yeah. Yes. It's, it's yeah.
0: all this stuff about
2: kind of, um, for, for it, it, like, I think it, it happens more and more as well as somebody goes from like 30 to 50 into their kind of midlife crisis where they have these expectations of what, of what of, of what their life is going to be. And they're slowly realizing that their um, reality isn't, isn't matching up to it. And they actually get happier then when their expectations meet their reality. Because generally from that point on, like after 50, yeah. their reality starts to exceed where their expectations have <laughs> gone. Because they've averaged it's really, down. Yeah. It's
4: really funny you mention that. Because again, um, nerdy commentary trivia but they recorded two commentary tracks to this one like around the time the first dvd came out which is very good but helena bonham carter wasn't in the room they just kind of like adr'd her in and then oh, i remember those. another <laughs> one like for the i don't know 10 15 year anniversary something like that where they're all in the same room and if you listen to the first commentary brad pitt's like i actually specifically requested when they were doing those stupid kind of juvenile pranks montage that we have a vw bug that we hit with um you know the beetle that we hit with baseball bats that, yeah like, set off and he said because like that was a car for like the 1960s which is you know all about free love and the idea that then in the 90s it was remade into this like plastic hunk of crap mm. by Volkswagen I specifically asked that, that was one of the cars we hit and I specifically asked that we both look at each other and go like ridiculous and then hit it and then in the later commentary he's like I actually take that back they're, they're a really nice car I, I actually <laughs> really like really them and that. then he's <laughs> like yeah that was something of the younger guy I didn't like but now yeah it's a pretty good car and thought, that's exactly what the film is so good at like doing it's yeah. sort of like yeah. Yeah. this is very juvenile but we also kind of know we're being juvenile about something. yeah it's
1: yeah. a good point actually yeah um and i do think as well there's there is a certain um thing that i suppose it doesn't explore it in edward norton's character particularly but it's something that's there and it goes back to what you were saying is that even if you do kind of achieve career success and then you get married and you have children or whatever there is a point in people's lives where they're like well, yeah, well, what now yeah, like even, you know
2: yeah it, it, there's it, that that sense Of um your uh expect uh, reality not meeting your expectation is just as true for the people who've succeeded in everything they wanted to achieve. As Brad Pitt said, (laughs) yeah, (laughs) Yeah. So like part of their expectation was that that would make them happy. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well,
1: this is it because what the American Dream sells is only up to a certain point. It's like you have your two point four children and your wife and your car and your house.
4: And that's, that's all it. you're supposed to want. Yeah. And then
1: you've got 50 years left of your life or 40 years left of your life. Yeah. So yeah. that's a brick wall that people have to hit. I was,
4: I was telling the two guys when I arrived this morning... Um I recently moved into a really nice new apartment and I was doing it all up and I've been to Ikea three times this mm-hmm. month and then last night sat down and watched this film where he's like slaved to the Ikea nesting incident and I was like, oh, that, oh. that stings, yeah? You know? <laughs> well, like is Ikea's anyway, <laughs> great. I may we go, we go there to, after this. Yeah. We, we, reached, we to it. reached the stage where yeah, we're,
0: at, we're appreciating the wonder of the Volkswagen Beetle. Yeah, over <laughs> I know. <laughs> no. um, in terms of stuff, actually, it's worth noting that um, Palaniak, uh, um again apologies for that has argued that again although this movie has been kind of appropriated by say the manosphere that we kind of discussed and alluded to there um he argues it's actually the best date flick ever and it's largely for i think the reasons that you guys kind of alluded to there which is that it's a movie that in the context of the late 90s ties together the idea of death and kind of sex and like you know relationships and the inevitability of these things. He speaks specifically about the AIDS crisis, because um, he's, he's a gay man, I believe, as well. Yeah. Um, and he's talked about how, and I love this, like when you had the moral panic around the film's release and when Fincher was saying, like, you know, people who watched The Graduate didn't go all, grow up and sleep with their parents' mothers, uh, uh, Chuck's response to that was that, uh, you know, no, nobody's going to start a copycat fight club. We're all too afraid of blood. Um, because it's the late 90s uh, which is great but his argument was that yeah he found that women actually responded to fight clubs surprisingly well in his experience better than he would have expected them to in large part because he thinks that it kind of it deals with again it's a love story it deals with this relationship between a man and a woman but it embraces concepts like things like death and things like unpredictability Mm -hmm. and things like kind of reconciling yourself to that
2: and it's not just men who get to the point where you're no longer kind of asked what do you want to be when you grow up, where you're asked, what did you want to be mm. Uh, mm. When, when you grow up? There's a great was scene was in you... the
4: film with the two guys in the car where he's like, what do you wish you did before you died? Oh, and yeah. One's like, <laughs> paint a self-portrait and the other one's build a house. And again, a scene in the film where I was like, I would like to build a house.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was Fairness. a good answer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, there's, is... there's definitely a thing um, that currently where I think we have a problem as a society viewing things through a genderless yeah. eye in, and I think Fight Club is something that really suffers from that because I'm a woman, I have I feel like I view that in the same way as a man would view that film. And I think sometimes we just get so wrapped up in like, oh, this is a film that promotes toxic masculinity. And I'm like, oh, I don't, I, you know, I, I don't get that. And I think that sometimes we can be a bit too gendered in how we view things. And I know that that comes from a place of like not being gendered enough for a long time. Um, But I, I do kind of feel like women... Women's voices can sometimes be a bit erased unless we're actually arguing against something. Because I can like I've had many a conversation about Fight Club where people have been like, oh, but that film is trash and like blah blah blah. And I just feel really annoyed by it because and I've had men say that to me, and I'm Mm. like, well, you know, that's not really fair of you to say that to me. Not everything's about gender. I feel those feelings sometimes. I respond to all the themes in that Mm. film. And just because I'm not Edward Norton's character. Doesn't mean that I don't have those same yeah. things, Anxiety, you know? Yeah. Or, or no men who feel yeah. them and no men that I'm close to that feel them. Mm-hmm. I think that's something that we need to maybe get bit better yeah. at as a society before things will actually level out. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah.
0: Now, myself and Andrew talked about, I think it was La La Land, and we were talking about how the irony is, despite all the dialogue being about the Sebastian character, you know, the character that myself and Andrew most identified with was Maya's perspective, yeah. mm-hmm. um, despite the fact that, again, there's a tendency to see that through a gendered lens.
1: Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: But anyway, so in terms of of Fight Club and in terms of um, it's an interesting film, it kind of it exists again at the late 90s. It's very much a product of the late 90s at a time when yeah. and ironically we discussed how it's become increasingly relevant and how it's relevant again. But in terms of things like, obviously, the, the World Trade Center bombings, because it recreates the 1993 uh, World Trade Center bombings with the van parked in the basement. Ironically oh, enough, yeah. it would not have been released after 9-11 and happened with the falling skyscrapers, I don't believe. No be um, But Or at least not for a couple of years afterwards, yeah. anyway. Uh, but it's kind of interesting. One of the things that kind of struck me watching it this time was the scene with Raymond. If you remember Raymond, he's the guy who's working. He's the first human sacrifice. He's the guy who's working at the convenience yeah. store. And they drag oh, yeah, him out yeah. and they put the gun to his head and it's like, what are you? What did you want to be? This is, because Andrew reminded me that there. And it's like, what do you want to be when you grow up? And it's kind yeah. of like, you know, I wanted to be, you know, I wanted to, go to, I wanted to study science. It's like, well, why do you want to study science? It's like, you know, I wanted to become a veterinarian, you know? And it's like, well, why aren't you a veterinarian? It's like, too much too much schooling. And Tyler's like, well, you need to go and go to school, and I'm going to check back in six weeks. And if you're not one step closer to being a veterinarian, well, you're going to be dead um Just and I, th- th-
2: this is the stuff about the survival rate um uh, drops to zero yeah over yeah. a long enough time and i think kind of there some of the um i feel like uh, early in the movie they're kind of um uh, satirizing um some of the kind of uh, people some of the people in the support groups who are saying i no longer fear death that mm-hmm. that death is something that we should Fear, and while we're 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 alive, we should be we we should be. It's it's um I think uh, Chuck Belanuk has has talked about this about that Heideggerian thing about living towards death. Yeah. That 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 realizing that 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 you're this thing that's going to die, and if you want to be a veterinarian, you need to become a veterinarian like now now because time's
0: running out. But I kind of again it, it. it feels very much like a 90s moment because it's it's a predicated on the idea that the only thing stopping you from accomplishing your dreams is your own apathy yeah um like there's no other issue that would have stopped you there it's well, not for like white men yeah, sometimes Yeah. It is, that's yeah not, it. This, i mean that, that's it i think this is down to it being a reflection of kind of that sort of like moment so to speak yeah you know, sort of like everything's fine there are no you know we live america at the, that time thought it lived in a post-racial world yeah. you know after the oj simpson yeah. thing things had kind of leveled out it thought race wasn't really a concern women had you know kind of equality had been accomplished to a certain extent you know third wave feminism was in full swing so it's like this is uh, this is pretty good. This is about as good as it's ever going to get. The end of history, you know, that sort of thing in The First Man. But that idea that you had accomplished something, and that, like literally the only thing stopping you, in a very literal sense in the context of this particular film with the relation between the narrator and Tyler, the only thing stopping you from accomplishing what you want to do or doing something meaningful with your life is you. Uh, which is a very a sentiment that I associate with that era to a certain extent.
1: It's a sequence that's always um, intrigued me because I've often I've often thought about that sequence um, because really what he's being pushed into is if Raymond did decide to go to school, he'd have to pay a hundred grand yes. to do so, and then he would have to pay that back, and then he would be a slave exactly like the narrator's character, yeah. and well, and it's just sort he of an, doesn't
2: say I couldn't I couldn't I couldn't I'm, keep paying for it.
1: I don't know it's, that a, that you could go to college and be a veterinarian for convenience well, or wages in in America
0: well that's exactly what I'm kind of getting at yeah. as far as the film's concerned that's not an issue Again, it's really it's interesting like, it's like Friends it's like when you watch Friends and it's like how they live in those apartments mm. and it's like that's not an issue it's he's yeah. in
4: a bit at the end where he hands Helena Bonham Carter a wad of cash and she's like I'm not paying this back but if you look they're ones he's like giving her like <laughs> <box laughs> 30 bucks maximum <won. laughs> yeah and I was like, "That's that's not enough money. Either of you two characters. I, I really think that should have been like a bigger, yeah. like hundreds. Yeah."
1: That's gas. Cool. So I always assumed it was like a load of money because so he's yeah. got a load of money. <laughs> he goes
2: in with this wad of thirty dollars. Is yeah. this enough for milk? <laughs> um, um, <laughs> um, what's that? Can oh, I buy yes, a yeah. house with this? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Um, Poor
1: Marla. She doesn't yeah. even have enough money and to say She's pay literally that like, back. "I'm not paying this. I back don't yet. have thirty dollars." <laughs> <laughs>
0: um and again getting the direct bus out and again the, the fincher's attention to detail when she sits down you can see the shapes rising it's, on the bus as well that's so yeah. scary it's yeah it's, really, it's really really effective film it's filmmaking.
1: actually not something i'd noticed before and i was watching it last night with my husband and he was like oh, i love this the way you see them all rising and i was mm. like oh yeah. <laughs> I it's
4: funny because I, I noticed it last night and i made a note and then i noticed it again when he's running around the lobbies of the building looking for the bomb the garage escalator sign is pointing to the left and then when the shot changes it's pointed to the right and originally I was like oh missed, missed a trick there and then because I've gone too deep on Fincher I was like or did he, <laughs> he doesn't he's make mistakes. perfectly yeah. done that he's oh, this, inserted, is, yeah. this is the
0: thing when we talk about Kubrick where it's like Kubrick doesn't make it's, mistakes yeah. everything is there for a reason you sort of assume that it has a kind of a purpose there
2: yeah. well. it's, a, it's another uh, oh, the Edward other movie Norton that, in Underpants
0: I sense this maybe a scene. Theme. Yeah. it's in his writer it's like one scene in
4: Underpants <laughs> yeah <laughs> um either that or i get to force the director out
0: although uh, how do these these are tidy whiteys actually are they no they're no, they're,
4: they're, they're boxes yes, again, oh, again. Yeah. okay yeah. Unfortunately. he's running around
2: no, they're not that. as loose as the as the 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 ones in american are history they're quite loose? he could have flamed <laughs> as much as he wanted in 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 those american history x
0: ones and it wouldn't have made any impression that. <laughs> um but actually it's run at just uh, there looking through my notes it turns out the other movie that Rupert Murdoch really hated from Bill Mechanic was The Beach.
4: Similar kind of mm. not not as well done but that's interesting.
0: Well, that sort of like late 90s existential sort yeah, of hire yeah. a young director and get you know get them to make something stylish but also yeah. really deeply depressing. handsome man Flashy, and have them do terrible man. things. <laughs> terrible, <Yeah. laughs> terrible 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 things. Um, Also worth noting, when the film was released, it was massively, massively polarizing, uh, particularly among critics. Oh, I can't imagine. Roger
2: Ebert gave it like two stars, didn't
0: he? Which is quite generous because, I mean, Ebert has, you know, I love Ebert. I think Ebert's one of my favorite film critics ever. Uh, But he occasionally comes down rather hard on the wrong side of things that he's worried about. So like uh, Die Hard is famously one of Ebert's one star reviews. Uh, ebert loathed die hard with a passion with um, a of vengeance <laughs> hey! Hey! see what you did there um but yeah it's kind of <laughs> that sort of thing and like there was this sort of big kind of critical backlash to it i think nathan rabin at the av club described it as uh what was it as just cinematic bile um which is yeah which is oh a bile-filled adolescent uh, alexander
1: walker at
2: well, time is, at uk yeah, right. yeah i yeah. agree with that yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, but it, like, it so it's, it's great. It's great.
1: perfect <laughs> film to divide critics. Since your most cool films divide critics, yeah. it's fine. And, and, and it's like, described
0: it as a film without a single redeeming quality. Roger, Roger Ebert described it as
2: fascistic. Yeah. Which is also which, kind of true. And a lot of people mm-hmm. hate it because it's a celebration of violence, which I'd argue it is. Oh, it's a celebration, a celebration of, of violence. violence. This is interesting. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I think they're, 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 and, and, and I think, um, uh, Polanyiuk is is, is kind of clear about this. Is is that um, rough play is 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 a really kind of an an, an important sort of uh, and uh, it's something that we we, we really kind of um, uh, look for. Yeah, it's something that we kind of like feel. It, there's like a cathartic sort of um, uh, release from it. How much you know do we know about
4: yourself unless you've been in a fight? Is the line exactly? Oh, yeah. And
2: and it's not something. It, it's not something to that fits into in yeah. kind of 20, 20th century or twenty first century society. It's something that it, it are kind of like uncomfortable with, and even kind of um, uh, uh, even sports that kind of um, are rough are becoming more and more. Um, safe and yeah, touch and rugby par- and stuff like that. Parents yeah. are becoming less and less likely to to allow their children, yeah. say, to play rugby or yeah. American football because of like um,
0: injuries and reports. that. Exactly, sort of like, yeah. The uh, only
4: thing I'd say to that is, I remember after seeing this film, being like, oh, "There's a book," and then going and reading the book, and and not reacting to the book in the same way. And I think it's it's partly because like I remember reading an anecdote about how Palanok got the idea to write the book. Apparently, he went camping he got into a fight because another campsite was like playing too much music and he showed up again for his like corporate job on Monday morning covered in bruises in mm. his face but no one asked him about it. He just went wrong <laughs> and everyone was just like, oh hey Chuck, how was the weekend? And so he's like, this is weird. Like, <laughs> It's like, it's such an odd thing no one even wants to address it. Yeah. And, Similar, I think what the really good thing and the, the different thing between the book and the film is that the book is very much aligned with that, that, like, how much can you know about yourself when you're a fight? We are hunter-gatherers. We, we need to, like, express all this, like, toxic masculinity somewhere. Whereas the film takes all that and just adds a little bit of a satirical edge. He doesn't clock Brad Pitt. He punches him in the ear awkwardly. Yeah. You know, he, there are all these scenes where something slightly happens. It's a little bit funny. And I think that's why... David Fincher is the perfect director to do this because he clearly recognized this sense in the book and there's a lot of Chuck Allen books that are like this where you're not quite sure exactly where the dial between nihilism and humor is Yeah, where he kind of does it a little bit better here. It's actually something if you read the Mindhunter book which is, it's like a, a reading a book written by the main character of Mindhunter. It's really arrogant cold and, and yes. cold and it's full of like, now I'm not a creep but this was really interesting. But, <laughs> you know, that gives you the sense of this guy doesn't really know how, how much... people of, work. And yeah. how people work and Which is ironic given what he exactly, does. Exactly, which is how... He, and he, you know, is probably like two or three steps away from becoming a serial killer himself. And clearly Fincher and whoever else made Mindhunter picked up on that quality and was like, we're not making this series. We really need to bring that yeah. out. But this guy is crazy. Can
0: we, can we get Jonathan Goff? Because <laughs> they're sort of like, just... Amp up the creepiness just at a minute.
4: And I think the same is true of, not at the same extent, but with Palinuk and Fight Club. Like, Palahniuk's a really interesting guy who, like, really lived a lot of really horrifying things. Um, one of the seminal moments in his life was his dad decided to get into online dating. And, like, the next couple weeks later, he had to, like, come and identify the remains of his dad because his dad was killed and burned to death. Like, really Jesus. horrible stuff. And a lot of that, I think, goes into his books. But then someone like David Fincher reads this and I'm like, let's make this funnier. And I think particularly the ending of the book, which is not great and ends... Features a narrative
0: going to God, right? If I remember
4: correctly. God and in a mental yeah, home. Yeah. So David Fincher reads this and thinks, nah, I'm going to do it this way. And it's so <laughs> oh, no. much better. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's so much better. And it's such yeah, a good yeah, ending. And yeah, it's right. it's really brought out in the sequel, which very much is a sequel to the film, not the book. So That's he's like yeah. acknowledged... Yeah. Yeah. My book was good, but not as good as the film. Well,
2: so, yeah. some, 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 even like good books, yeah, can, can sometimes end, uh, badly. Bad. And, mm. and, uh, there are versions, there are different versions even of the book, um, A Clockwork Orange. The mm. the the. but it, they, generally the book ends with, um, him, um, years later, kind of, um, you know like seeing some of his um um uh, drugs mm-hmm. and um and thinking about um how he he's just like in a in a in a I think in in like a kind of a um cafe almost and yeah. is thinking about kind of how he'd like to have um maybe a a a, a, a little wifey wife and maybe a sprague and and um yeah and it's it's this which is very different to how the movie ends, because mm. you in at the end of the movie you realize kind of like oh he's not really kind of um, cured at all yeah yeah. Whereas in the, the in 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 the book it's very much like kind of he he's he's grown up yeah. It's funny yeah. you should
4: mention that because there's another Palenik short story that I read, which is him from his first person perspective, but he's writing about an encounter he had where he was on like I think a roller coaster and it broke down. So Mm. he was sort of stuck on this roller coaster and the mechanic came up fixing it, was like talking to him to try and like, you know, chat away. He's like, so what do you do? Oh, I'm a writer. What did you write? And he says, oh, I wrote Fight Club. And he's like, the movie? And the guy's like, no, 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 it was a book. And the guy's like, no, 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 it's a a movie. (laughs) (laughs) And they got into this whole thing. And it's interesting because particularly then when he comes to like having to do uh, a A sequel, sequel. I just think, you know what? No, I'm I'm just going to do a sequel to the movie because, yeah, Um, it's the same.
0: It is worth noting, actually, just in terms of that the the movie's sort of licensing and its kind of legacy, which is fascinating, because Fox had no idea how to sell this thing and how to recoup their investment on mm-hmm. it. Now, it did go on to sell, I think, the, like six million DVDs uh, in the ten years following. But at the time, there was a real sense of what the hell have yeah. you given us, and it's what are we money on it today? It's still making money. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, but the thing was, they advertised it during wrestling. Uh, on Mm. television Mm. which fincher thought was a huge mistake fincher wanted the wwf was the (laughs) (laughs) was the most popular show on television (laughs) television. set up and brought it home thank you andrew um but yeah and also even things like uh, fincher wanted to go more avant-garde with it so he wanted to record psas with edward norton and brad pitt in character and like show them at cinemas telling people to turn Mm. off their phones apparently studios like no and the marketing people were like, if this flops, by the way, Fincher, this is on you. Yeah. And when it flopped, he was apparently dragged into a meeting at his talent agency.
2: Give it the studio executive a big floppy one.
4: <laughs> <laughs> it's funny though, like going back to the DVD, this is, or that DVD version that came out in whatever 2000 is a fantastic DVD because it's one of the ones where yes. you can see every failed marketing campaign for yeah. this in the special features, yeah. including like those PSAs where Brad Pitt's telling you, "You did you know urine is sterile? You can drink it. And I was thinking, how did they like shoot <laughs> This. like they were put this in, in front of like the, none of the i, I really like the poster i like a lot of the imagery but they really did have a problem marketing this yeah. i think
1: uh, they they like when before it came out i well, i always remember it like feeling like this was going to be a scorsese film like like a raging bull or something that yeah. you can expect that this will be bloody and violent but it's like a a fighting movie yeah. for men like it and he's Bowl gorgeous and yeah, yeah like it's a it's a fighting movie and it's for grown ups and it's really violent and they really leaned into the violence, yeah. um, but they also really played up Brad Pitt obviously yeah. uh, to get the women in, um, but yeah I just think it's I remember it coming out and I was almost like afraid. Because I'd heard so much about how violent it was mm. um, as, a, as a teenager. I was like, oh, I don't know if I'm going to be able for this in the cinema. Um, which it's actually not that bad, well, really. Fin- Fincher, <laughs> Fincher made a point to, like, his argument was that he
0: tried trimming some of the, because well, there were concerns after Columbine and stuff like that. He apparently said, first of all, he said he wasn't making any story edits to the film. Because he was like, as soon as that discussion came up in marketing meetings, mm. PR meetings, he would shut that down he said he apparently did in his own time try cutting down some of the violence in particular shots and stuff like that like seeing where Jared Leto is beaten to a pulp yeah. what he found was if he did, if he removed those sequences the violence actually seemed more palatable it actually seemed like more fun and more exciting and more like engaging yeah. and it was like actually leaving those shots the blood splattering and mm. like the, the horrible violence committed on these people um had the effect of kind of for him of communicating that like this is not Really, that cool,
1: and particularly that sequence because that sequence is him like, destroying something beautiful. Yeah, actually, mm-hmm. like it's not coming from a place of like there's a camaraderie to a lot yeah. of the Fight Club stuff, mm. but this one is is, is it's evil. Roles, like he did, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. And it's yeah. really important that that's vicious. Yeah, I agree. Funny you and can it's mention out of that
4: There was one line that one of the producers said, "I really need you to change that line. That can't be in the film." And oh, the line I think was, I know the one. The original yeah. line from the book was after uh, Marla. they've had sex. Yes. Marla says, "Tyler, I want to have oh, your abortion." Yeah. Um, and they said no we can't have that in the film And he said okay I'll do a different line But you have to promise me you can't change that So obviously being Fincher he goes back and comes up with like an even more I am Jill's nipples line, Which is <laughs> I, I haven't been Jack's that That's, That's it's grade, grade school. school And
0: apparently according to Helena Bonham Carter She when she said the line Didn't know that grade school was oh, no. That young
1: <laughs> Oh <laughs>
4: uh <laughs> so obviously the producer then turned around and was like okay so we have to change it back to the abortion line oh F-H my gosh. was like no <laughs> <That's> <laughs> you, know, <you're, laughs> you, you, you made your deal yeah. um
0: but in terms of the weird marketing that's just around us you know there's um the arcade game and this is paying off a brick joke that i said in motion two weeks ago when i said we were going to talk about fred durst later yeah you've heard you know
4: this yeah i played the game unfortunately <laughs> Fight Club the game? Yeah. Fight Club the arcade,
0: arcade game, game. Yeah. yeah. In which you can play as characters like the narrator and like Tyler. But more interestingly, I think you can play as a penguin. Mm. And you can play as Abraham Lincoln. And you can play as Fred Durst.
1: Mm-hmm. Why? Why? Because
0: Fred, Fred Durst was a huge fan of the movie. Oh, Jesus. Um, <laughs> he saw it something like 21 times in cinemas. Oh. Yeah.
4: He's someone who I guarantee you didn't get like what the film's really doing. <laughs> well, I yeah. mean, you
0: know, you say that, but I mean, we haven't seen Fred Durst's directorial. Uh, we have, have, you have you heard about it the, the John Have Travolta you heard the fanatic? One. Yes. Oh. Yeah. Fred Durst directing John Travolta in basically Misery. But what if Misery were played by John Travolta in shorts and a Hawaiian shirt with yeah. a vaguely defined neurological disability?
1: But it's a remake of The Fan, which was a remake of a film called The Fanatic. So mm-hmm. the remake stream, a copy of a copy of a copy. <laughs> um,
4: <laughs> the game is atrocious. It came out for PS2 as well, very briefly. And, and we're not talking about the game. No, uh, <laughs> no. First rule. Or the other game. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but it was weird because it came out like three or four years after the film. Like a very strange, t- again, totally consistent with the bonkers marketing campaign. Of, mm-hmm.
0: like, you look, could tell Fox were like, we need to make some money off this. Can yeah. we sell the license?
4: <laughs> but it, again, one of those films like The Sopranos Game where it's like fans of The Sopranos wouldn't enjoy this, you know? And and who is this for? It's so, so different. Fred (laughs) Durst. Yeah, it's so different to the rest of the film.
0: It's a gigantic ego trip for Fred Durst.
4: Speaking of gigantic, I remember one of the marketing posters, like, played on the Godzilla riff marketing um, which had I remember being in Toronto as a kid and getting really excited for Godzilla coming out which I think was the same year which seems crazy that I watched Godzilla and then Fight Club immediately yeah. afterwards. but, but um, did you watch Wild Wild West? yes in the cinema as well I think but they had all these signs <laughs> everywhere England that was an said interesting year. Godzilla you know his tail is as big as this bus or his head is as big as this oh. billboard and things like that and in the Fight Club DVD you can find again one of these probably Fincher pitched things that just did not work where it's a Fight Club, his penis is as big as this sign. <laughs> 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 Don't know exactly where they were planning to show that stuff, but that's all in there yeah. in that DVD. Another yeah. terrible marketing campaign. We we,
2: we we were talking about the gore. Um, uh, Rob Botton does oh the, the the effects. Yeah, from from, from, the from thing. RoboCop oh, as uh, well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, it's it, it's it, it's incredible. Even they the, the the like. Um, the gunshot with the with the kind of like smoke coming out of his mouth oh, yeah. Oh, yeah.
0: that sequence is just again amazingly hilarious the sequence where the narrator with having blown part of his brain out is still trying to like direct it's like Marla are you okay <laughs> yeah
4: it's hilarious it's fantastic in the comic book he's got a little scar on the side oh, of his, his head yeah, I wonder
1: that. how that little plot point goes down in psychological circles <laughs> no, really. it's not academic entirely psychology yeah.
0: <laughs> but I, I, love the, I love the idea that academic psychologists are on board up until that point, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. we call this Tyler Durden,
4: and yeah. like, you
1: can't get rid of this. Like this was a totally
4: accurate representation of schizophrenia <laughs> until this point. Yeah, yeah <laughs> up
1: until this moment. I mean, that is the place we don't want to go. No. Right, like that no. is a whole Thank thing that, like, even at the time when this, when I saw this first, yeah, I knew this like, was my on. favorite film ever. <laughs> I was still like I know come it on is, watch. like <laughs> even watching it again words. yeah that's exactly yeah. and the, it's a metaphor
4: the scenes yeah. where he's like pulling himself by his hair and <laughs> like, how does
0: that <laughs> <Yeah>. work <laughs> or even that's when he's fighting movie. his boss um, yeah. and again I love like the movie plays entirely fair with its twist it's because it's like you know I felt like I was fighting Tyler yeah. as he's like yanking himself up <laughs> and throwing himself around I the office that's been a
1: physical comedy yeah. for yeah. Norton. I to did think. like the
4: where he's like what if you woke up in an entirely different person and it like shows Brad it's very very Flagged, we were talking
1: so. about this last night actually um, myself and my husband and like kind of wondering if we'd guess the twist now right. it wasn't one that I yeah. guessed but I was kind of thinking I don't think it feels like a movie that's gonna have a twist like yeah. it just feels like a movie that's very it's so busy that it distracts you from thinking, thinking about there being terms. a twist yeah. yeah and like I suppose there, like there's so much in there that backs up the twist so on um watching like, like there's loads of little jokes about it but it just feels like such a busy film and such a film that's got like mm. a lot on its plate politically and sociologically that why would it have a twist and i just wonder what you guys saw of that or it, would you yeah, do you think you would uh, guess the twist similarly no, i don't think no, i guessed no. the twist
4: <laughs> i think i was like whoa just like yeah, him. Yeah. um cool like a a in the matrix <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, it yeah. was exactly for those reasons I yeah. Think yeah. it was it's it such a of, busy film yeah
2: it could have just ended like uh, goodwill hunting or he goes it's off crazy. to see the girl, <laughs> and <then laughs> Brad Pitt is like, Oh, he went to see a girl Good for you. Yeah. <laughs> I'll uh, continue much, with my work Yeah, have got to catch up with yeah, these guys yeah. we, so, wanted, so. we wanted you to, to, to do this thing but um, yeah you're, you're, you're going off to pursue something I think, else by the way, yeah. I love the
0: um, the space monkeys which by the way Project Mayhem literal skinheads uh, which I only twigged on recently yeah, yeah. Um, but I do love that one of the headlines as they're sort of like filing through along with three daughters <laughs> molested is missing monkey found shaved yeah. which I <laughs> quite enjoy yeah. even as somebody who had very little patience for their pranks. I mean, come oh, on. Yeah. People are trying to work there. I know, a, a yeah.
1: Juvenile, <laughs> yeah. yeah. He's really annoyed by them all. One thing <laughs> I wanted
4: to check though, and so when at the end of the film after he kills himself, do we think he's himself? Do we think he's Tyler or do we think he's sort of just rectified both or is the all this happening in together? his head? Exactly. Yeah. Just... I mean,
1: he could have just died. Yes. And yeah. now this is like, you know, Heaven. <laughs> it's just funny because the scene in <laughs> holding hands mm-hmm. listening to the pixies. Yeah. The scene Watching in the- capitalism
0: collapse.
1: Oh, yeah, that does sound <laughs> right. it's heaven.
4: The scene in the cops where he sort of for a moment pretends to be Tyler to order them and they're all like mm, yeah. as if. But then at the end of the film he's order or issuing them orders and they're all like, Yes, I will go and wait downstairs or yes, I will go and get some use some gauze. So it's just interesting that he's I kind of yeah is is he just now suddenly rectified Tyler as part of his personality and as no longer well, earlier earlier when
0: they have that scene like again you this recurring motif of the Project Mayhem guys being morons yeah it's that's a bit true. Where, yeah. like their response to that is he told us you'd say that yeah like, like yeah. they they don't doubt that he's Tyler Durden because they use their impressive powers of yes. deduction <laughs> despite being like police officers this checks out he told us <laughs> yes, yeah. this is one of the rules so. yeah. Uh, which i quite like actually in terms of the twists because jolene was mentioned that there one of the things that struck me on rewatch is the twist arrives much earlier than i remember yeah. it because again when i think loads
1: after it that's
0: it when i think of a movie having a twist i think of something like say the sixth sense which we mm-hmm. talked about earlier and because we're in the spoiler zone for all movies that twist like arrives in the final scene and the scene goes on and it has that edited flashbacks of the yeah. thing but the story ends and then it's like afterwards you're like well mm-hmm. i better process that whereas Fight Club: The twist, and again, it absolutely is a twist. It will be one of the things that if somebody spoils it for you, you will punch them in the ear. And oh, absolutely! Justify yeah, it. Yeah. But um, like, despite the fact that it it you know, it is a big revelation in terms of the characters' relationships. There's a heap of plot after mm. that point. There's a heap, heap of stuff happening.
1: You even miss Tyler, and then he comes back. Yeah, there's that much time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah.
4: And like, if I thought about it, I kind of always saw the twist happening in that hotel room with him and Tyler talking, and him remembering certain sequences of the film that Mm. we'd seen with him. But it's actually when he's talking to the guy in the bar, um, which again kind of surprised me, as you say, Mm because I was like, oh yeah, this must be the part where he kind of works it out. And then hilariously after meeting like every single member of Fight Club in America telling him like nope I'm following the rules I'm not telling you anything yeah. he meets someone who clearly is so brain damaged he can't remember like, <laughs> to follow Are you sure rules. this isn't a test? and he's yeah. like wearing the head thing with his like scars around his head or thinking god yeah that's a bit dark but again very consistent with yeah, the film the, with, yeah. with the films world view.
0: Um in terms of also in terms of like weird product placement and weird endorsements and weird fandom Donatella Versace was a huge fan of Fight Club the point where she modeled her January 2000 fashion line around it, uh, including shirts and uh, jackets. I think with, I remember. you this. remember this? I think I you do. Remember, remember this? Being really with, into that. <laughs> really? With yeah. razors in the lapels. Oh, wow. Razors I'm sewn so into, into that. lapels. Like- <laughs> <laughs> Again, like, it feels like, it feels like Jared Leto just lived this movie to a certain extent after this point. Um,
1: He's still in Project Mayhem. The man who brought his own head to the meth Ball.
0: Uh, <laughs> um... Anyway, so is there anything else you want to talk about? Anything that we haven't discussed already with Fight Club? Anything that kind of jumps
4: out to people? The only thing I always think is worth a mention is the soundtrack, which is mm. by the Dust Brothers, yes, John King, Michael Simpson, or if it's Michael Simpson and John King. I mm-hmm. can't really ever remember, but it's, exactly, it is; it's really fantastic. And one of those soundtracks that apparently, again, from the commentaries, Edward Norton was like, Oh, we're getting Radiohead to do this. Their, their their mood is in tone with this film, and it really would not have worked with Radiohead. I'm a big fan of the Suspiria soundtrack, but like it really would not have worked in the same way. And the two guys who who did the soundtrack, you know, they 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 were music producers. They worked on things like they do one of the Beastie Boys albums and one of the Beck's albums. They also worked on Hanson's Mumbop, like doing that like backgroundy. Wow. So they do this sort of like very. Kind of unnerving elevator music, nearly, and it, it sort of really suits the film as this yeah. sort of like corporate all the corporate scenes, week. and then it's jaunty and <laughs> yeah. it's kind of exciting, and it's just it's the soundtrack and that Pixie song are yeah. incredible. So. Even um, the, the start paradise. of it, like yeah, the kind of like
2: cruel. excitement
0: yeah. of it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, even the um the wonderful sort of like discussing the Dust Brothers. There, John King was talking about how when they first met, Fincher, Fincher said to them, "Much their chagrin." That he wanted music that sounded like it was from white guys who really thought they were funky, but actually (laughs) aren't. Um, That's exactly
1: what it is. That's that's brilliant brilliant direction. (laughs) Well,
0: yeah, that's what King said. I was really, really ticked off at the time. But in Mm -hmm. hindsight, that's exactly what we gave him, (laughs) um, which I quite like as well. Um,
1: Um, Kind of tied into that, um, I think something that I always love in a film that may have any number of flaws is when something just feels completely unique. Yeah, and I think that nothing has ever felt like Fight Club, and lots of things, not to like loads of things, have aped Fight Club and tried to like like, Identity, for example,
0: is one of the ones that came immediately after. There's lots
1: of stuff that's kind of tried to be like it, but I think I don't think Fight Club is like anything I've ever seen before or since. Like, it's completely on its own, and like Fincher definitely has a style and a stamp, and you see lots of Fight Club y things in all his other films, but it is a beautiful and unique snowflake and it really does feel like itself. And I think a lot of that is down to the soundtrack, which is kind of weird. It's a weird mm. soundtrack. Mm. like, yeah. And it all works really well. It doesn't have like an action movie soundtrack or a comedy soundtrack. It mm. doesn't lean on any jokes. It doesn't lean on things. It's just atmosphere. And it's a weird yeah. atmosphere that yeah. it creates. Yeah. A quirky sort of an atmosphere that lends itself to it being a comedy in inverted commas because it's <laughs> so weird to use that word. But yeah. it, I mean, it's a very funny film. Yeah. But it is, it's a unique film and i think that that's something that would always elevate it for me um in terms of like why it's on the top 250 is that i mean i really appreciate when something just feels like itself and nothing else i think yeah. this is one for that
2: and the the, the 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 amount of incredible scenes like you were you were talking about the ikea um scene um i think is that the or same story? looks it, around it, the apartment yeah. and it kind yeah, of populates it. itself? That true. was the
4: first scene I saw in that hotel room and I was Which like, Which is amazing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Stuff like, like the, the mid-air
2: collision
0: oh, yeah. is, yeah. is yeah. incredible. It's better than um, Actual disaster movies. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like movies that should feature good plane crashes yeah. in them. Exactly. Though.
4: And I think that, that like, that's a good example of because it focuses on his perspective. Mm. It's not the necessarily the plane blowing up it's literally his sort of slightly surprised face just going great face oh the plane's exploding and that's (laughs) i I love his
0: response that is that like life insurance pays triple if you die in a business trip
1: ignoring the question is that (laughs) true
4: ignoring the
0: question of like where the money would go Yeah. yeah,
1: yeah
0: yeah and the the um
2: his apartment exploding as well. That whole mm. you know. oh, the bit where it's yeah. like
0: littered with there. The floor outside is littered with the remains of his IKEA bought furniture. Is that? And he's no,
4: embarrassed really. that he only has condiments in his <laughs> Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> I love
1: that. But even yeah, that sequence where you see the gas, the gas cooker. Light going on. Yeah, 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 that's so cool. It's. I really mean, cool. the the
0: whole thing, even the opening shot that goes from the synapses, you know, out yeah. through yeah. The, through his skin Brilliant. and his pores. Uh, down to the gun, and then sort of becomes an actual shot of Ed Norton yeah. with a gun in his mouth. And Which it's, again,
2: it's the it's the thing of I am I am Jack's uh, synapses yeah. Final, <laughs> yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, it's like, um, and that was you know, X Men would do something very similar. I imagine the X Men opening sequence owes a significant debt. That's to true. Them. Yeah, um, and again, another Fox movie. But as that's well. that's
4: oh, yeah. speaking as a Fox movie, that's the money on screen. That's the difference between making the sixty million dollar version and the three, and three, exactly. the $3 yeah, million. The three, yeah. You have scenes where instead of just shooting himself, I'm going to do slow mo, and I'm going to take Titanic breath effects and repurpose them for this particular scene, so the smoke coming out of his mouth and spend probably half a million dollars on three seconds of film and it's all on screen and it looks incredible. It yeah. It's really good. Yeah. It really does.
0: Alright, so is there anything else you want to talk about? Anything that we haven't discussed already in the context of Fight Club? Anything I was going to ask people who they would fight. But, <laughs> you um, could fight just one uh, person. You could fight just one person. A celebrity, but, historical but, uh, figure. I don't know if
2: I have an answer. I mean, obviously you do. <laughs> Frederick. But, <yeah>. Oh, oh <laughs> um, <laughs> Fred Durst. Fred uh, Durst Darren, is my Durst. Darren, <laughs> Darren, Darren looks hurt that I that I chose him. You
4: should feel honored.
0: I I think I'd I would be hurt after you chose me anyway.
4: It's funny. You would both be hurt there. <laughs> In the film, it's sort of both their answers. One's implied that it's almost like for political reasons I would fight that person. Whereas Tyler's answer of Abraham Lincoln is more like, I'd like to He's fight got someone got that tall. He's got, got reach. nothing to do with, yeah. 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 skinny He's, guys fight to the burger. Yeah, yeah.
2: <laughs> well, I think they're, they're all sort of like the, the, the strangest answer is is Gandhi.
0: I love Gandhi. Yeah. I think that's a very yeah. clever answer. Yeah.
2: Because yeah. Yeah. like fighting William Shatner, fighting. Um, Shatner's uh, also fun
0: because you can imagine with that. And again, listeners oh yeah, can't yeah, see, but with but but the, but the but double fisted <laughs> that, That's
2: why it makes sense in terms of a fight. Yeah. Like our are, hmm. are with Lincoln.
0: Because <laughs> Lincoln
2: was like like famous as being the uh, the post uh, splitter, like be, de- yeah. for for his incredible strength. Oh, um, and um... I
0: love that Andrew actually thought about
2: this. Yeah, yeah,
1: exactly. yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, it... Shatner is interesting going back to what you were making the point about earlier about like father figures and people latchkey children. Yeah, watching Star Trek. Yeah. I mean, he's yeah. literally wants to fight his father. Then potentially if that's the case. Yeah, if Shatner was his father figure, sort of growing up in syndication, <laughs> yeah. watching that over and over again. Gilligan, I want to fight up. Gilligan. <laughs> <laughs> that
0: doesn't sound quite as tough. I want to
1: fight Bosco. That's <laughs> <Yeah>. my answer. <laughs>
4: <laughs> My favorite scene of the film is when they're starting fights with like random people, and oh, one of them's yeah. like the priest. Yes, the way that's oh, shot and
1: everything—it shows like a up in loads it, more scenes it, later. It's one of the space monkeys. <laughs> so.
0: Do you know who? that is? That's oh. Matt Winston, whose name you probably don't know, um, but he's the son of Stan Winston. The makeup effects artist whoa,
1: that's amazing! Small world. Yeah. Yeah, small right. world, Hollywood. <laughs>
0: yeah, that's a, it's a very small town it is literally a very small, small town uh, but again i again i love the little detail of how hard it is to start a fight with somebody in the modern world yeah yeah um which again feels like you know i can They'll imagine try to avoid it yeah, well. yeah yeah the scene of, of meatloaf chasing a guy on a bike
3: oh,
2: yeah it's not like you can like pick a fight with someone <laughs>
0: beat the crap out of
2: them yeah. while they're saying take my money anything He's make it stop no they have to fight okay. back that's yeah. a really
1: interesting little quest I'm yeah. not <laughs> advocating that anyone goes, it goes it's out your homework listen. Listen. Yeah, you no for legal, for legal purposes challenge. this is not we
0: <laughs> <laughs> disavow disavow um, that's what they do You're at the
2: movie sued. as well <laughs> they have a little warning at the beginning yeah, or at like, the end
0: Yeah, uh, <laughs> do not take any of this <laughs> seriously that was the point of the PSA that Brad Pitt and Edward Norton did alright so so Unless there's anything else, anybody wants to talk about anything else that's sort of jumping out at I people. I suppose
2: just quickly, there was uh, um, plenty of inappropriate smoking. Oh yes, her, at the her, office, her, oh, yeah, her yeah.
0: smoking in, in the emphy- uh, emphysema area. Yes, my
2: smoking great doesn't joking, go and great over joke. at all. And your your, your <laughs> man said, "What? You, you can't smoke in here." <laughs> um, um and, yeah, food waste as well. If the, uh, they, Zach Granier they, as the boss, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: And it's great. I love that shot again. That's the Fincher perspective shot where you have the door open and the guys burst in. And after watching Norton sort of brain himself around the room, you just have the shot of the, the confused manager with <laughs> Norton kneeling beside yeah. him, which is just his wonderful comic yeah,
2: juxtaposition. And it's another example. Like, I think I spoke earlier about how um, it does a better job of making you think uh, that these people are in... Um, uh, actual pain that's relatable rather than it feeling churlish and unrelatable like it does in american beauty yeah. Yeah. um but it also um it also does a great job of that leaving leaving leave leave, leave leaving your job scene i, yes. th- I yes. think it does it much it literally does it's the same but it's just so good yeah here.
0: But also because, and again, you have that level of protective irony that you don't have in American Beauty. Like in American Beauty, it's very much like a fantasy scene. And yeah. I mean, here it's a fantasy scene as well. But in American Beauty, it's unapologetic. It's like, screw the man, yeah. man. And look at you, hold the fist up and I rule and all this sort of stuff. And it, like
2: It's an ostensibly unappealing fantasy. Yeah. Because like, the they, they, movie is a fantasy. But yeah. they're living in this really kind of um, uh, run down... House where all the wood is kind of rotten and with, bending, with, and with, yeah, with with sweat. Water. yeah, exactly. And they're getting the, the crap knocked out of them. They look like
0: shit. Yeah, um, <laughs> and, I mean, even yeah, even things like the bunk beds that fantasy. they're sleeping on look like rusty and yeah. sort of like nails yeah. and stuff. Yeah, it no, it, it is it is a fantasy, but unlike American Beauty, where that's sort of like wrapped up in little rose petals and smells really sweet, and it's like, well, wouldn't it be kind of you know whatever the, fil- the film, and you know we've talked about it last week. It does have mixed feelings to an extent about Lester, but it. It's in no way as kind of ironic or kind of like wry or bent around itself mm-hmm. as this movie is, where you when you watch Fyke, when you watch American Beauty, your sympathy is squarely with Lester. you hate Brad, I mean his name's even Brad. How perfect is that? Yeah. but I mean in this movie, like Zach Grainer isn't really a character, yeah. but because you have watched the narrator do what he's done and how surreal and how strange and how horrific it looks when you know, when you're watching that scene and you're looking at Zach Grainer's horrified reaction to what's happening, you're like, I can understand mm. why that person would react in that situation yeah. in the way that he has. And I think
4: you need the odd character like that in this film because it's so surreal. And you do need someone normal every now and again. Yeah. Because for yeah. so much of the film, it's actually Marla, who is herself. In no, She's quite <laughs> she's extraordinary. Real, yeah, yeah. <laughs> And to have every now and again a character like the, the older cop at the end or like his boss just sort of be like, what? what's going on? Like, look at like, what are you doing? That frames everything else in the film very, very well. And And
2: it's, yeah, because it's a sort of, it is this kind of, um, reaction against, um, kind of working jobs we hate so that we can buy. I am Jack's raging vile doctor don't need mm. yeah. but it's also he's lost his mind yes he's yeah, completely, exactly, yeah. he's completely yeah. lost yeah. his yeah. mind some of what he's
4: saying makes sense but a lot of it does not <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this and is not how you should go about <laughs> this yeah, yeah. maybe maybe see a therapist and um, the only other thing i'd mentioned before is is the ending because we're at the end of the podcast yeah. but it is one of my i would put that in my top 10 endings. ending really? yeah. I, I can't Agreed. get enough of this ending i think a film it's that it's uses so. an incredible Song like that pixie song uh, and film that uses that ends in such a sort of like perfect way, but also so many questions. And mm-hmm. y- it's just it's like
1: The Graduate, yes, it's, <laughs> it's
4: such a perfect, it's, and it would again be up there with The Graduate yeah. in terms of, but
1: it value. is actually exactly like the ending of The Graduate yeah. in that way. That like they've made this work, <laughs> so, <laughs> and it's over now. Yeah. We'll see. It's uh, well, yeah. I mean, obviously, we know from the sequel, but like. It's not like everything is sorted for them now, and they're yeah. just going to leave that building and go build houses <laughs> somewhere. Will be dead. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, so much of it
4: is about him, like trying to stop the explosions. That of course, it's such a funny thing to just be like, "There's no point. Let's, <laughs> yeah. just, watch, yeah. let's just watch them." Yeah. Cool. Resign
0: myself to the fact that I can yeah. make no difference in the world, yeah. basically. Yeah, except um,
1: he's holding someone's hand. This yeah, time. I know. I'm it's a bit sweet. that's yeah. that's, that's, it it. that's sweet.
0: the level of sort of like connectivity. And again, it's it's that nineties idea of the world is like huge and vast and all these forces are at play that are difficult to properly wrap your head around. Just mm. find someone to hold that. Yeah. Exactly. If, if you can find one person and connect to that person. Yeah. You
2: know. Sh- Charlene, how do you think, how do you think Ed Norton does when he's playing Brad Pitt? Cause I, th- that Oh, was during the, those sequences. That was <laughs> the one part of the movie I didn't find him convincing. Like, like, you know, in, you know, in Face <laughs> Andrew, Off, when Andrew, Cage you, is playing you play Travolta, Brad Pitt, you play Brad <laughs> Pitt. is playing, uh, is Oh, playing oh yeah, yeah, and yeah. it's, it, yeah. Um, uh, but yeah, what 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 did you think of um...
1: I think it's interesting because he's not playing Tyler, like Tyler Durden like Brad Pitt plays Tyler Durden because no. he is the he is what ugh, he is what Edward Norton's psyche thinks Tyler Durden should be. But actual Tyler Durden's just like boring old narrator yeah. Yeah. who's like just gone off on one and people are listening to him for some reason. But like he's playing him as himself. Now we never get to see the narrator be a normal guy. So like I presume he's probably a bit less
0: neurotic.
1: Yeah, there... like I'm sure there was some point in his life where he was a little bit more I used controlled. to be nice. Yeah. I yeah, think he was like a normal guy, your typical Edward Norton whatever. I don't know if he's ever played normal guy. Um Leaves maybe, the brass, maybe yeah. in uh or um, Keep in the Face. People versus Larry Flint Flint, That's what we're going to get. He was uh, he was quite normal. So like I think the version of Tyler Durden that Edward Norton's Italian playing job. is not the cool right. Tyler Durden yeah. that Brad Pitt's playing. Because that's the perfection. That's mm. what he, he, that's what he would like to be. Then, yeah. Even in
4: the flashbacks where he's like imagining like giving himself, a speech Giving those speeches. But imagining having sex with Marley. He looks like confused. Like, yeah, wow, like, like oh, <laughs> And then like, even me. when she mentions later on, like, oh, you're incredible yeah. in bed. He again is like, am I? Like, <laughs>
0: wow. Uh, actually it's, it's worth noting and, and again one of the things again the level of irony that exists in the movie and why you it just works just imagine that you're Brad Pitt <laughs> yeah, and that's, when
1: that's having sex secret. with somebody <laughs> yeah, that's that's that's, it, that's, you don't do that I, I often wonder like does he is he actually imagining Brad Pitt's face <laughs> yeah. on his own body and in better clothes or, yeah. like I it, it's interesting is it actually Brad Pitt in this man's oh. mind um, and again, because Brad Pitt exists because Seven Years in Tibet is on, yeah, in the cinema. Uh, yeah, that's oh, yeah, did he?
0: What <laughs> yes, <a> <laughs> he was watching on the plane on his way home before yeah. blowing up his apartment just happened to be Meet <laughs> Joe Black, and he was right. like, "If I want, because again, like, that's the thing that I really love about the kind of movies, like level of irony, is this idea that you know, you know, it's like, well, tch- Look at those pathetic male ideals up there with yeah. the Gucci advertisements but the narrator's shadow self is constructed exactly to conform yeah. to that. <laughs> exactly. So for like all that he talks about all you know this sort of like juvenile sort of I want to bring down the system I want to you know destroy a society's expectations yeah. Yeah. he's like I also really want to indulge in them. I'd really um, like to be Brad Pitt. I would really like to. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, it's funny. What if I could be both Brad Pitt a, and destroy it's the it's system? It's a new
4: version of IKEA furniture. He's looking like, yeah, I really yeah. want that. That
1: looks, <laughs> yeah. looks great. Brad Pitt, but like dressed a bit alternative. <laughs> yeah. so. And with, you know, I
0: haven't seen, he doesn't show a lot of skin in seven years Into Tibet, so I'll just craft like the Gucci body onto him. Yeah. Exactly. It's
2: funny how much like a kind of a corporation project mayhem starts um, oh. with the folders yeah. and the maps yeah, yeah, and the arrows
1: yeah. well because they all work for corporations so yeah. they all yeah. have that yeah. mindset even
4: when says when he quits we now have corporate sponsorship yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah oh, exactly yeah and again that's that's the irony
0: of it and again that idea of like when you're just because again i think one of the most interesting criticisms that i read of the movie and one of the most, well, actually defense of the movie. And again, it's from, it's from a woman writer. I'll see if I can gra- grab her name here. But she was talking about how, yeah, she doesn't like how it's sort of been assumed, how you have that sort of gender assumption mm. that you have about like people who like Fight Club are always men. Rebecca Renner's her name. Um, I'll include the link in the show notes. But she said that like one of the great things about Fight Club as a satire is that you have these men who have recognized a problem and the problem is capitalism and materialism. And what they have simply done is they have constructed their own replica system on top of that in order to dismantle it. Yeah. So, like, yeah. so they've, they've adopted this idea of the Gucci underwear model as their logo. They've yeah. adopted this idea that, as Andrew pointed out, these little plans and folders and sort of like compartmentalization. The real world is
4: just another version of the Matrix and it's <laughs> Yeah, and like, exactly. It <laughs> keeps yeah. going. And like this sort of
0: like sick. And again, that, that's what I think distinguishes this from other movies about the same stuff around the same time, actually. Yeah. Which I think really, really works for it, uh, in its defense. Um, so I think that about wraps it up then in terms of talking about fight Club. Unless there's anything else anybody wants to talk Great. about. Great <laughs> I mean, uh, <laughs> nudity. I've been
2: complaining because I've been complaining in the 250 because uh, uh, we like it. It's it. There, there, there need to be more uh, penises in movies. Yes. Yeah. Mm. Uh, Double I'm, standard I mean, that exists. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. 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 I have... enjoy boobies in movies and movies.
0: But, but other people enjoy penises, and other, everybody should be able to enjoy both. Exactly. I agree. Yeah. <laughs> so, did this have the right amount of penises for Oh, me? yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, I also it's love good that Good thing that it's under 250 yes. I, 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 It sort of averages out for the other ones exactly. I really like that um, Durden appears several times before Pitt does and he could like manifesting in the guy's psyche so like when he's yeah. at the doctor's office for example mm-hmm. when he meets Marla he flashes on as well and even in the advertisement for the um, Welcome! Oh yeah for the hotel <laughs> yeah. he's standing there in the corner smiling and waving as yeah. well which I really really liked um, Alright
4: Which checks out because he works in hotels so yeah it does sort of like that could actually be him in his other job. Yeah. You know, as a hotel waiter.
0: Okay. Um and in terms of just very quickly actually um real life fight clubs, good mm. example, bad example. Let's- oh, um were
2: you ever in the real life fight club um in our school? <laughs> <laughs>
0: Well that came out of
1: nowhere. Did someone create a fight we
0: club went in your school? to school We did, we went to Air secondary together, secondary yeah. yeah, yeah. There was a fight club in Air. There was, yeah. There yeah. was
4: a fight club in my all boy boys' school as yeah, well for yeah, yeah. a time after this. I
0: fight. had I had one fight. Charlene is just was there a <laughs> fight it, club in yours? I mean, I wouldn't
1: have been invited because I'm a girl and also i I'm terrified of pain. <laughs> 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 I'd never heard of a fight club in my school. But I'm gonna ask around now because I'm curious. Okay, I.
2: It was in the toilet. There was a lot. Oh, of, okay. Then no, there was, was definitely... a lot of, there was a lot of slipping about on piss, and oh, uh, there was kind Sounds of. Like it's exactly club. like it, the movie Fight yeah, Club. Yeah. It ended, the like somebody said that it, the 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 way it ended was like the most um, homo-erotic kind of ending to to a fight that they had ever seen.
0: This is one of your fights.
2: Yes. Yeah. 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 Okay. Because it was uh, essentially, we uh, it ended with with. With him pinned against a a, a, a kind of a, a, a hairdryer. and to everyone else, it looked like I was just kissing him. <laughs> but it, it was my head head kind of against against his nose, not like trying to. Yeah, no,
3: no, you don't yeah. But
2: to. to the point where he's going, "Oh, you should probably stop before my nose breaks." Oh, um, yeah. But, I did um, not participate. You did, no, not participate. did not participate. You would have been very good. <laughs> Thank um, you, Andrew. Yeah, yeah. T- t- I think our
4: fight club was saved by the fact again. None of us actually, We, you know, the, the idiots who ran it were, like, very much, this is great. And then when it came time to, like, inflicting pain on each other, it was like, oh, this this really hurts. Actually. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but then Jackass, I think, became popular oh, oh, immediately yeah. afterwards. Yeah. Yeah. And then it turned into a, a Jackass well. thing, which was That's a lot more, like.
2: I did every stupid teenager <laughs> thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: Um all right then, so I
2: think <laughs> that about wraps us up, which is a nice. <laughs> Next stuff. episode we talk uh, about
1: Jackass the movie. <laughs> <laughs> actually, uh,
0: sorry, yes, I was gonna mention there are actually reports of fight clubs being therapeutic. Um there's places in Virginia where young men organize fight clubs in order to solve disputes between themselves, in order to avoid situations escalating into violence in the streets and stuff like that.
4: Is this um, Virginia cabin or
0: No, no, this is in Virginia i the United States. the <laughs> well, links in the show notes. There were, however, there was also um and again this is the flip side in the I mean a couple of years after the release of the film I think the Seattle Police Department busted a ring that were planning to blow up Starbucks inspired by the film Mm -hmm. I remember that um like those guys who tried to rob a bank based on heat yeah um
4: it's perfect. We'll just get away <laughs> with it. I'm We're like, oh, movie. <laughs> Someone got shot in the head. No, this one will be fine.
0: Yeah. That's you. I'm, I'm going to be Robert De Niro, and all I have to do is just leave the country at the end. It's
2: fine. Yeah. We'll do the one at the beginning of the movie. Yeah. Yeah, uh, where we just have to. Uh, but, but we, we won't, won't hire Wayne Grove. Yeah, we won't hire Wayne Grove. Yeah. All
0: right, so I think that about wraps it up. Um, what we normally do at the end of the podcast is we ask people to recommend something for listeners, something you've enjoyed recently that you might want to share with listeners, that they might want to sort of partake in. Um, and then basically where they can find you online if they're looking for a bit more Alex, a bit more Charlene in their lives. So I'm going to ask Andrew to go first to give you guys a chance to kind of think about this.
2: Sure, yeah, yeah. Um, I, In terms of things, I'd recommend um, a couple of movies that came up. Um, Being John Malkovich, which I don't think is
0: on the list. No. And I'm surprised mm.
2: it's not because I, 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 um, I quite liked it. Um, I was talking
0: to Charlene, the 1999 movies on the list are an eclectic bunch considering like the range of cinema in the year in question. Yeah. Um, and I mean, you have, Andrew has no idea what we're going to talk about next week, so we'll land on that in a moment. But yeah, it's, it's it's a very eclectic selection of movies from 1999.
2: I'd also recommend Death to Smoochie. <laughs> you know, I love yes. Death yes. Death yeah. To yeah. Smoochie. Yeah. I think it's worth re-watching Death to Smoochie. Great it's late Robin Williams. Williams. because I'd never heard yeah. of it. And then I saw like the... The, 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 the cover and and, and it, you know, was it was sold yeah. yeah yeah what in the hell is this this remember is remember when Barney was a thing yeah and and then and then uh, I no I thought it was incredible um,
1: I've always had a bit of a thing for Danny DeVito's directed films I like more, more the, the Roses like, Matilda mm. and, and Death Smoochie is there another one I think, I think that's there it must be something anyway Reds. I just think he's he so did you read yeah I think
4: he did no, no, that's Warren Beatty, uh, yeah. Well, no, he did Hoffa, sorry. Oh, yes, oh, a, which is,
0: so, again, it's yeah. a slightly off, off yeah. topic from yeah. the other three.
1: But, yeah. but oh, they're, I, they're, he's an interesting director, I think.
2: Definitely. Yeah. I should say, you, I'm, 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 I'm thinking of deleting my Twitter. Um, <laughs> it's A Q U I N N I U Q A. If you like, can find it, you can follow it. Yeah, if you, <laughs> like a uh, tweet. Actually, like, send me a tweet. <laughs> Just acknowledge say, I exist. Kind of, um, Prove I'm not Tyler uh, Durden. Yeah. No, like, like, <laughs> I did, I did, you maybe <laughs> maybe encourage me to delete it?
0: Um, well, and, hold a Twitter poll. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and if no one replies, <laughs> yeah, no delete. one votes. <laughs> exactly. Um, and Charlene, what about yourself?
1: Um, this is not for everybody, but I've been watching <laughs> Euphoria, oh, which yeah? is that TV series about teenagers on drugs that I love which we
0: may have talked about last week possibly,
1: possibly. <laughs> <laughs> time works fine uh, I, <laughs> I did I did really really like it and actually as a and you may not like it uh, that is it's something that people really it's very don't strong like. yeah and actually as a an addendum to that then maybe you test yourself by checking out Assass- Assassination Nation which came out last year but nobody watched that is the same I can't think of his name right now uh, Levine anyway um the the creator of euphoria directed okay. this film uh assassination nation which is it's been very, on my list very, to watch
0: for a long time i very just very haven't interesting found the time
1: but it's... similarly to euphoria you may find it extremely obnoxious and like big punch in the face but uh i'm like, right. right, about to say it <laughs> like, seems like a very appropriate recommendation yeah for the movie no that i just watched. i quite enjoyed both and i both have their flaws and everything but um i think they're both really really interesting oh
0: cool and if people look for you online
1: uh at charlene lyden on the twitter and probably on the It's or whatever (laughs) and
4: alex if you were to recommend something for people sure i think at the moment um if you also want to watch sort of a david fincher directed lots of cold glass hughes Mm. story about like a sort of quiet weird little man and his sort of like more masculine stronger best friend i'd recommend mindhunter which is hold McNally, who plays yeah the lead space monkey in fight club
0: i think he's he's just credited as mechanic
4: okay yeah is he all right Um, I'd recommend that. It's it's very good. It's I, I enjoy it a lot, despite, like, I think sometimes it's a, it's a little too cold and clean. Mm. But no, it's it's really good. And check that out. Also, my friend Tim McGowan wrote a book called Call Him Mine, which we're all hoping will turn into some sort of Netflix narco-style series. So I'm trying mm. to get the word out for that. It's really good. Um, you can order
0: online from Amazon. You or can. From... Or, or any, any other figures. provider. Uh, I or, think if you or... just type
4: that in, it'll it'll work. And finally, okay. I... What's I, the name again? I call Him Mine. It's cool. called uh, by Tim McGowan. And finally, yeah, the podcast. I am going to definitely try and get more organised like your guys' podcast um, when Irish Eyes are watching. More organised. We're doing Veronica Gearin, so oh, this will probably oh. be out around the same time as our next film. October
0: so, yeah. 5th?
4: Yes, it'll definitely be out by October 5th. So hopefully. <laughs> now We're has setting to be. it has <laughs> <like Yeah. now laughs> to Now you actually okay. said it yeah. out loud. Now it has to um, be, yeah. Cool. And yeah, and on Twitter as Alex Towers as well
0: perfect um, yeah so in terms of stuff I'd recommend I'd actually recommend Ed Norton's directorial debut Keeping the Faith which is ironically the exact opposite of what I expect an Ed Norton written and directed film to you know, be you
4: there's a great quote about that uh, where Edward Norton was like getting him jacks
3: Complete lack of surprise
4: for it because you know. And he said, "Here's the thing, though, man. David Fincher told me he could never have made Fight Club if he didn't make Alien Three. So, keeping the faith is my Alien 3
0: And we're still <laughs> so waiting. Hopefully, Motherless <laughs> Brooklyn will be <laughs> yeah. his. That's uh, really good, it's Motherless Brooklyn. Which is uh, n- When's that coming? It's coming I in, saw a in October. A oh, okay. And that's, that's actually happening. That
4: it's actually it happening after like.
0: Decades. <laughs> Tom about this. is
4: doing music for it, so he finally got, got radiohead. Radio. Radio. Everybody <laughs> has a happy, happy ending. <laughs> uh- <laughs> well, didn't
2: did didn't they use like a cover of Creep for uh, the Social Network?
0: Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. They did for the, for the trailer of it. And again, that's, again, one of Fincher's big legacies in terms of entertainment and because we're not going to talk about the Soul Network, it's that cutting of slow, ironic music to a trailer. I mean, he does it really well with The Girls with 2, which is probably one of my yeah. favourite teasers ever, which is just a camera moving down a driveway. Yeah. i so had breakfast in a hotel. <laughs>
2: oh, you might have heard every nouvelle Five yeah, version <laughs> of, <laughs> like...
4: A... I actually saw Trent Reznor doing the new Pixar film. I was like, whoa, that what? is... <laughs> yeah. it's soul, oh, or is it Soul? Uh, he's the... doing Soul. Yeah. He's doing wow Resner, starring Tina Fey
0: and Jamie
1: Fox. Yeah, yeah, interesting. Very interesting. Okay. <laughs> All right, uh,
0: we'll be back next week, uh, where we'll be continuing our summer of '99. We're almost at the end of it, almost there with a late new entry. And Andrew's looking at me like he's completely confused. Oh, it's and great,
2: is now- like like the- <laughs> yeah it's great
0: <laughs> very very convincing it's like your own project mayhem it's gradually spiraled out of control do yeah. we don't um, question it yeah. <laughs> first rule of of the 250 we'll be discussing the legend of 1900
4: Tim Roth <laughs> yeah I like that you do you
0: guys know what that is yeah, yeah amazing nice. barely but I worked in extra vision so okay. like this is why I... amazing It's in the 250 that just the made top the top 250 yeah top 250 just oh, made wow. the top wow <laughs> i <laughs> That is the sound of Andrew being now, very excited. Can you, you can actually hear that. track down that movie in order to watch it? Oh, I have it. I have it. I have oh, the Italian yeah. version. I've already planned this. Okay. I have both the Miramax cut and the International cut. Andrew is crying. He's going <laughs> to watch He's
1: both actually of them. crying.
4: You've got to watch both for comparison. <laughs> Jesus. Jack's wasted life.
1: Zodiac is not in the top 250 A Legend of 1900 is it? Oh, man. Yeah, it's a, it's a new entry.
0: It's actually, ironically enough, it was the it's first one. jumped
2: no- in because of a com- <laughs> like a computer error. And it's like, <laughs> this just in episode,
0: we have to do... Do it <laughs> well no hilarious. it's also because we're doing 19- it? it's also because we're doing 1999 and it was technically released in
4: hong kong in
0: <laughs> <laughs> it was released so, in america in october 99 oh yeah, two weeks after released this, in this
4: in italy. italy no 99 years after it was actually <laughs> uh,
0: yeah
1: perfect. Uh, wow.
0: perfect timing yeah so yeah so we'll be back next week discussing Tim so Ruff- it's always been on the 250 <laughs> then yeah yeah so it's no danger of They're jumping out right? next week yeah. trade
2: this uh, project yeah. oh well, look hey it, this an, is our gift to
0: the listeners and Andrew will be especially thrilled to hear that it's directed by uh, Giuseppe Tornatore who directed Cinema Paradiso oh great yeah cool I I think (laughs) I enjoyed it you really did I I think you've accused me of ruining ruining it for you (laughs) Um, so yeah we'll be back next week talking about uh, the legend of
3: 1900 Bye. bye bye bye